Igawao acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Good evening, everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the time before we tell. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law, and any argument you find yourself in with a film school student. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, and non-descript. So, let's talk about Interstellar. Released on November 5th, 2014, Interstellar, also known by its Haitian release title, Nolan Does Space, is the story of a deadbeat dad who leaves his motherless kids in an attempt to start a new life. The film is Nolan's ninth feature, yes, we're talking Nolan again, and his first following the conclusion of the Dark Knight trilogy. The film was made on a budget of $165 earned $701.8 globally, and was nominated for Best Visual Effects, Best Original Score, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, and Best Production Design at the Oscars, winning the Best Visual Effects category. The film features significant IMAX sequences, has a runtime of 169 minutes, and may just make you want to take surfing lessons ASAP. Right. How does, how does the joke land in person? Which, I mean, it's a bit awkward, but it's fine. Yeah. It was funny. A bit less of a, uh, a build-up when you just see me do it. But. And um, I was thinking today that we need to rename, we should maybe rename the pod a very special episode because nowadays we have guests like every second week. But yeah. Nonetheless, a very special episode because we're joined by our good friend, Alan. Yes. How are you, Alan? I am well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> don't worry. You don't need to perform for camera because <laughs> I know it feels like this is a big looming thing, but it won't be. There's like microphones and camera on. <laughs> Action! Yeah. It's particularly noticeable in person when we switch from hanging out to recording a pod, whereas when we were on a webcam, there was always a certain... Yeah. And we were having I like... I just see the green light. Yeah. <laughs> we were having movie conversations like just before and it was like not awkward, but now it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, I'm very excited to have Alan on the pod. She is a film buff and what makes her a very good guest is a very opinionated film buff. She has lots of takes and the only person who actually, I think properly uses the five-star rating scale. Well, thank you for that, because I also agree I'm the only person who uses it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm a film buff, but I definitely have opinions. Well, you own Citizen Kane on DVD, so that's a good look. That's pretty (laughs) much the card, right? Yeah. That, I guess we should probably check in on everybody. I know it's been a while, but I just need to ask you something. I feel it. Start with Ellen again, even though I already asked you how you are, but how are you actually? I am pretty well. I mean, it is post-lockdown. It's 2021. The sun is out. I, I was went for a swim before I came here, so feeling good. Always good to prep for a pod. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and today was the last day of my PLT, which is like just this random, or like my induction for PLT anyway, which is just like this certificate thing you have to do, final hurdle for being a lawyer. 
which you'll have to do at some point, Nick. Yeah, <laughs> if so the pod doesn't take off first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some slight context is that Ellen is the lawyer of the friendship group. She is the Always. lawyer of the podcast. Yeah. She's dealt with all of the um, big issues, the that contracts have come up, yeah. that we've had to <laughs> seen come across the desk. I'll go. Yeah. I'm good. I'm, you know, excited about being in a room. It's this new nervous energy that I have that I'm worried <laughs> the audio is not going to work and that I, I'm going to have to edit it and edit out of like people sniffling in the background, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, but otherwise, I'm just happy it's summer and I'm excited for this pod. Like it's going to be a good one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you, Tom? I'm good. Um, I was saying to someone today that like, I think, I don't know, if it, I think this is everyone, but particularly in January, it's like you can only think four days ahead. That's so true. It's just, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And then today was one of those days where I reached the end of a block and I'm like, what's happening in the next four days? And it turns out there's a median and there's like people I need to see and stuff like that. And anyway, I like being busy. If I learned one thing in lockdown, it's that I like being busy. It actually brings out the best in me. Yeah. So your movie production is obviously picking up steam right now. Yes. Love Cut. The, uh, I don't know if we've announced it on air before. You did. I definitely have. Okay. Well, I'm <laughs> announcing it again. Um, Filming in April, Love Cut, the uh, film that I've written and will be directing um, with a fantastic team. Uh, yeah, we're planning. It's getting serious. Yeah. That'll happen in April and be released later on, I guess. I'm excited. Yeah. All of our listeners are very excited as well. It's not meant to be scary, is it? No. Because yeah, uh, the first film you did was scary. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it was a little spooky. Um, I, I don't know. It's not going to come out for a while. We've been trying to save it. Like, because we want to rejig a few things. And then we would, like, so normally people shoot their second year films, which is on 16 mil. And then you try and get into festivals. Um, but we wanted to wait because last year was a bad year for festivals. Everything was online, uh, diminished. So we're sitting on it. But hopefully it comes out this year. And yeah. I think we should explain the how we all watched the film and how it came about. I think we should first talk about the fact that this is our second attempt of Hel- having Ellen on the show. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're going to do Chinatown. Actually, first thing, this is the first part of 2021. Yes, it's been. Which I think it's worth noting. Yeah. We haven't Which, recorded one in a long time. I'm very excited. And we're almost like up to date with our backlog. We were like... Six episodes As ahead? of recording this, we have 10 episodes out and we were, I don't know. It was seriously six, like six, six out yeah. by the time we started. So I think it's good, but also a bit worrying. So this is modern. Be... Say something that definitely isn't going to age. Oh, Joe Biden by... is the president <laughs> as we speak right now. Which oh my is, God. Is, that's news. Yeah, and this will age well. There's just no controversy around Trump's departure. And it's so great to see that he's done no controversy and nothing bad has happened. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, that's how modern we are. We are fresh. This is 2021. Um, our presentation skills, we went to podcast in university over the summer and we're ready to roll aren't we yeah but yeah it's got to be different like now that we're not over computers this is like it's bizarre like tom and i have been able to see each other for a while and it's the first time we're face to face so i don't know what that's about but it is what it is Mm. anyway what i was going to say second attempt at doing a podcast with alan we tried to do chinatown last Mm. year which i would like to still talk about well you want to do a mini chinatown episode (laughs) i I have some scorching takes on chinatown oh scorching 
In that case. Yeah. Well, it's up to you. You can have the floor now or we can... But there's so much to talk about with this. I want to respect that film and respect and this film. Because Chinatown... Yeah. Chinatown is good. Well, it's iconic. Yeah. yeah. Pen- Spoiler. Pen- Chinatown. It's good. Pending <laughs> Chinatown <laughs> pot. It will come out at some point. Yeah. Okay. No, yep. Stick right. tight. So and we're, we're also moving into a phase of the pod that's more formal. There are We're planning weeks in advance what's going to come on. Um, an important one, actually, after the episode that I think just came out, which is Red Hot Chili Peppers, that will have just come out after mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Uh, it made us, it inspired us to, <laughs> to reconsider what movies we choose. And we now have a strict one for them, one for us policy. That's cool. Oh, see, so, so every person gets two? Or how, oh, well, that you, alternating it was Tom, between? Tom and I, yeah. uh, like me, then Tom, then me, then Tom. But we're also like, want to do stuff that people are kind of interested in. It's, it's more like commercial, <laughs> a bit more independent. Like, oh, more yeah. Independent. So a bit contemporaneous, but also something that might be sideline. Yes. So Interstellar, can you guess which category it falls into? Or like mainstream. Yeah, very mainstream. <laughs> $700 million box office. But it's not contemporaneous. Like This is a few years out. Yeah, it's yeah. not like, oh, go to the cinemas this weekend, folks. Yeah. Speaking of which, we did... So yeah. the whole reason Interstellar is yeah, happening yeah. today is because we have... Uh, do you have... Ben and I, at least, other bad brother... Who was also on the pod. Um, not so good brother. Yeah. Um, we both have IMAX memberships and we've been getting a good use out of them. That's why Ben keeps looking at the schedule and saying... Oh, what can we see? Um, so that's why we're doing Interstellar. We saw Interstellar at IMAX and... In other words, we were in space. Yeah, we were there. It was... It happened. It happened. And you need to really stress the... Like, emphasize the IMAX part because it definitely changes, like, your viewing experience. And yeah. without getting too sucked into my thoughts, like, definitely had a different perspective from when I watched this on a TV, like, four years ago on Netflix or something yeah. like that. It's quite different. As I said before, listening to podcasts about cinema going um, and just thinking about reflecting on it. Um, seeing Interstellar and IMAX is quite interesting to me because I couldn't help but feel like... Because um, I've seen it once. Sorry, but that's my only context. I've seen it once, probably like a year or two after it came out on Netflix on TV. Um, and then I couldn't help but feel like it's ridiculous how fast movies age. Isn't mm. it so strange? This thing, we sat there and it could have come out that day you know what i mean it did not feel dated and you can talk about thematics and context of nolan and all that sort of stuff but in terms of actually just sitting down to watch a movie it didn't feel like we were watching an old movie at all right? not at all like it was the first time i saw it and it was pretty fresh mm. um so yeah just in terms of movie culture it's very strange how important and i guess it's the same with any art right like you can hype up something that's not released because there's this exclusivity that comes with it um but then as soon as something's out, it changes its whole identity and its brand, right? So I'm just really glad we got to see this in cinemas. It is the type of movie that deserves to be seen at a cinema, wouldn't you say? Definitely. And it's like, yeah, like you were saying, you know, once a film's out, it changes the marketability in a way. But it's almost as though in the case of Interstellar, the marketability is increased in the IMAX context because it's kind of a service as that kind of big screen holistic experience. Mm. What do you think? Going to movies. What's your... What's your current status on going to movies? Oh, it's great. I love it. And I'm like, this is the thing. Like, I'm the person co-heading a podcast who went through a phase where I was not really into movies whatsoever. <laughs> I was just you like, keep saying this. What, what? Which is bizarre because you're so across it. Yeah, well, what part I'm of your it. age is this? Because you've always been, you know, pop culture savant. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm like, music is my main thing. And it's funny, like, we're talking about how we can talk about films and I, I'm way more comfortable talking about film. Like we were talking about Ellen's rating system and I'm like way more comfortable talking about films than I'm about music. Like it's mm. so much easier for me to look at 
film through like a different lens and just go like, oh, this is what I, this is what I didn't like. Whereas like with music, I find that kind of difficult. I don't like for whatever reason. Like you can't explain it. Yeah. Oh, and there's like things that I like or I find endearing maybe that I can't actually articulate or whatever. Mm-hmm. And also just like I'm probably more hesitant to like shit on some music uh, than I am maybe a movie. But I don't know. Like we talk, I think we talked about it on another pod where like I just, I just started going to the fun of watching movies with Tom on and as soon as we did that, I'm like, I oh, kind of like this is something I like doing. I like talking about it. Anyway, to talking a lot to get to the point, going to the cinemas is like the best thing ever. And like, I I think like I would be lucky to go to a cinema like once a year before oh, wow. this. So like now that this is happening, and I've been like for whatever time since lockdown ended, it's like I'm really loving I, going. Like we went two times last week, you and I. So. Oh my god! But even since you then, went three, you went again, I've been yeah. like almost every once every three days. It's gotten a bit out of control. <laughs> it's definitely like the holidays, New Year vibe. Mm. But yeah, cinema going is the best. Yeah. Um, I think, personally, cinema going, like, you're introduced as, like, a kid and it's entertainment. It's a thing to get out of the house and stuff like that. Um, and then you sort of reach a fork in the road where you can either keep going to movies or not, basically. Mm. Like, I think as a kid, everyone, hopefully, you know, like... Maybe that's different, though, for kids nowadays. Like, everything is, like, on an iPad and, mm. like, a fingertip away. It is. It's it's strange being in the middle of a cultural revolution because you want to have some grand sweeping statement that captures like what's happening and what's changing and what. But like we honestly can't say, can we? You know, yeah. like we don't have kids. We don't have. We're not five years removed from stuff that's happening. It's happening immediate. Like it's happening now. You know this, um, the whole Marvel stuff, the whole non-Marvel stuff, the whole streaming thing. Like you can make a million arguments for what's good and what's bad mm. about. The streaming thing because like I've always felt this way about technology and like breakthroughs when the way I've understood other people because you know how you can always talk to two people there's always two sides to technology coming through or even a social thing coming through it's just like the people who were for it and the people who were against it and you can just listen to both and be like oh yeah blah, blah, blah. like I'll take this side because whatever in reality it's not quite so cut and paste it's always uh, a question of like what's going to stick and also the consequences you don't know in advance mm. that change the arguments fundamentally. Yeah, and you're angled one way. You know, you're going to mm. feel stronger towards one because it supports your uh, position or not. World. Yeah. Wow, this is almost a political podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, it's just like there's always going to be pros and cons that happen when we go through a movie revolution. There's plenty of, plenty of pros to have in the streaming services as mm. are the... It's funny because today I was... I read a review on Letterboxd because I often do mindless scrolling and look at random films and stuff like that. And someone like used the, the term Netflixification and like in a negative sense. And it's like, for me, my experience with streaming services is actually pretty much entirely positive. Like yeah. it's opened my door to like seeing way more films and like sort of films are getting made. And like, it's, I, I just find it hard to believe that and every stage of cinema, there wasn't people who were like, wow, cinema sucks right now. Yeah. Like, everything is like this because of this thing that's going on right now. Mm. So That's everything in every era, isn't it? Right. It's like music, if you liked 70s rock, you don't like 80s rock. If you liked yeah. Nirvana in the 90s, you didn't like hip-hop in 2000s maybe. Yeah. Netflix um, is kind of like the Spotify of music. Like You can access a much broader range than you could prior to its existence. So you become educated in that way. But then the cinema is like going to an intimate concert with mm. your favorite band. Yeah, so you kind of get the best of both. Yeah, because yeah. I love going to the cinema just to be totally absorbed. You know. Yeah, so I think the only worry would be that like more cinemas are shutting down because it's like impossible to do that. Yeah, and maybe 
films you want to see, you don't actually get the opportunity to do it anymore. Mm. But, you know, having said that, it's like pretty cool that, you know, we get to see Interstellar six or seven years later at, at the cinemas. Like, it's not something that I really thought about that would happen, you know. I'd be like, Especially oh, I'll go the see this IMAX again. part of it. Yeah. Is, the cool. IMAX part is special. Like, yeah. looking up IMAX factoids and stuff, there are only tens or hundreds, like, you know, between that and literally tens that will show this movie particularly. You know, mm. like, we're in quite rarefied city, quite rarefied screening. And... Sure, like, uh, you know, every city has one thing that another city doesn't have. So that's maybe a Melbourne thing. But it's good that we're capitalising on it. And it, yeah, just to like completely wind it back to Interstellar, it, it's just great to see on IMAX. Like, this film is shot for, even more so than Tenet, this film is made for IMAX, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So did you see Tenet? I did, at a cinema. Yeah. That was not an IMAX. Yeah. Um, so you didn't really see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we saw... Oh, as the listeners know, we saw Tenet at IMAX. And this is probably going to be a big reference point because we're talking Nolan. So I think maybe just get that warning out of the way. I'm probably going to be talking about Tenet quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's not. Let's start with not. <laughs> let's start with not Tenet. Okay. So um, this, the other thing, um, being in person, I have to read my notes off my phone because I normally, normally, you know, the scrolling sound that you hear in all the pods? That's me looking at my notes. Got it. Anyway, infuriating. So. Let's get into it. 2014. Actually, first of all, did, did you like did you like my joke in the intro? I thought it was. I thought this I had some pretty. This is the second good... time you've asked so, it. So oh, I was feeling insecure about it. Come on, deadbeat. Extra loud for a you A deadbeat now. dad who leaves his motherless kids. I thought that one would yeah, slight. Anyway, was funny. okay, okay. Anyway, so 2014 seems like a good year for movies. The best picture nominees were Birdman, American Sniper, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Selma, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. What's your movie of the year then? Out of that year. Yeah, I still got to give it to Boyhood. Uh, not Birdman. Boyhood. I lied. Boyd Birdman. Man. <laughs> Boyd Man. <laughs> the Birdman. Have you seen Boydman? I haven't seen that, but I never got the fuss over the sniper. Yes. I, I think just, that's uh, one of those... Uh, I think people don't actually reflect on that fondly. I think it's a American pulp, yeah. you know, patriotism yeah. kind of gross sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they. it's... The ironic thing is it's literally like the movie in Inglorious Bastards <laughs> where, they're, you know, they're showing propaganda of a German sniper. Mm. It's like, oh, American Sniper 2014. Yeah, funny. Um, but yeah, so I feel like this is an important point for me because I feel like these are all movies I've seen and I, maybe this was the turning point where I started to get mm. on the culture bandwagon, at least in post, like retrospect. But I did watch Birdman when it came out. I remember dad watching... Grand Budapest and coming home and telling us there's a good movie. Like before we knew Wes Anderson was when Wes Anderson. I love that film. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Birdman won Best Picture. Um, but, you know, you could give it to Whiplash. You could give it to Boy. I remember thinking Boyhood should have won it after I watched Boyhood because I thought that was just such an epic thing. I actually mistakenly... Like I went to see Boyhood at the cinemas by I've myself. Heard I heard, yeah. I've told you. Well, is it one for the podcast? Oh, absolutely. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. It's quite the story. Um, and obviously, it's got Ethan Hawke in it, right? And so I got myself my ticket, went up to the um, the entrance part, was directed somewhere, and I went into the wrong cinema. But I didn't realize because the first few scenes had Ethan Hawke in it. <laughs> But it was really dark. It wasn't as boy who was depicted on, you know, the covers or the advertisements. There was no boy. There was no boy. <laughs> and it was truly dark. It wasn't all, you know, sort of suburbia, which is kind of what I was thinking boyhood would be about. And it was a totally different film. It was called Predestination. Has anyone seen oh, that? Oh, yeah, I've yeah. seen that. You've seen Isn't it that an old movie? Or? No, no, no. Well, it's like it came out at the same time as boyhood. Yeah, I guess I didn't know. 
But it was exceptional because I didn't know what I was in for. <laughs> so you watched, wait, which one? Brutus. So, well, I was kind of, because <laughs> Ethan Hawke was in the scenes. I was like, oh, maybe this is boyhood. And by the time I realized, oh, it's definitely not boyhood. I was too far in. Like yeah. there was no way I could like get out discreetly and I would have missed the first 10, 15 minutes of the other film. Yeah. So I stuck at it and I was kind of scared. I'm like, this could be a horror film. It's not a horror film. I would encourage people to see it. And also, I'm a big fan of the go to the cinemas without knowing anything about a film mm. because of that. Because I had no idea where that story was going. And I was just like totally hooked. Mm. It was so good. So anyway, I eventually saw Boyhood and yeah, it's a good film. Another sci-fi <laughs> I just want to sneak in. I feel like we um, haven't spoken about Ethan Hawke before, but I like Ethan Hawke. We have. We talked about him when first performed. Oh, that's right. We watched an Ethan Hawke movie Ethan and Hawk raved about him. Ethan Hawke is the man. Right. Reality Hawk. Bites, anyone? Yep, I've seen uh, it. We yeah. have it on DVD. Is it is it worth watching? It's uh, it's maybe your it's probably your DVD, Alan, well. surely. Hey? Surely it's your DVD. Actually it might be. Yeah, I think it it's is. Me I want that back. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, um this era is kind of I didn't have this as a note, but it's coming out, even talking about predestination. Big era for sci fi, at least personally, and space movies. Yeah, big So time. in the context, I feel like I knew this at the time, but Interstellar was also surrounded by The Martian mm. and Gravity a year later, I think it is. I think this is why I missed it when it first came out because I watched Gravity and wasn't particularly impressed. Mm. And then somehow with all those space movies, I just missed Interstellar. I remember feeling like there's a sci-fi one and there's a... a oh, sorry, like there's a, a magical one <laughs> that's not science and there's one that is science. <laughs> Gravity being the science one yeah. and... Into magic. Yeah, a bit of magic. Being about love. Yeah. yeah. A, bit of, a bit of love. A bit of four-dimensional, five-dimensional love. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but like, obviously, huge point. Let's get into it. So, The Martian sets the, paves the way for one of the greatest heel turns in movies, right? <laughs> I haven't seen The Martian. I haven't seen no. it either. Oh, I, know it's seen Matt da- I know it's Matt Damon. Okay. Anyway, yeah, yeah. The, the two second description is that Matt Damon's in it. He's an astronaut. He's, <laughs> he's like, he lands on Mars. His thing blows up. And which, he's stuck on Mars and they're trying to get him back. He's stuck on Mars and he's a good guy. That's all you need to know. Okay. So having seen that and then seen Interstellar, the reveal of Matt Damon mm. is awesome. Yeah. Um, watching it again. So like the only things I remembered about Interstellar were one, the wave planet and two, Matt Damon's heel turn. And then I still sort of was lulled into a false sense of security going, maybe you don't, you know how like you, especially as a kid, you know how as a kid you watch movies and you'd be like, maybe this bad thing that always happens, maybe won't happen this time. (laughs) I I had a little bit of like, oh, maybe I remembered it wrong. Maybe Matt Damon isn't a bad guy. But I also think Matt Damon, like he doesn't usually play the bad guy. It's kind of hard to see him in this role in Interstellar. So do you like him? I don't know. I'm a bit confused about his character, to be honest. That's something yeah. that we can talk about. Yeah, let's talk the morals of Dr. Man. So, he is sent into space with the first group of uh, new settlers. Mm-hmm. Um, go through the, the wormhole, get to the other side of wherever. And he sends out the beacons, saying his planet's good. One of two candidates for the team. Or three, I guess. One of th- three candidates for the team. They go down, he lied. Um, morality is this <laughs> the phone is locked we're staying on this for a while what do you think well you're talking to a uh, philosophy major from undergrad yeah so. oh, okay gosh, give me the ins and outs <laughs> um, in terms of his decision to stop sending the signal and like mess with the system how bad is he 
Is he bad? Well, this is the thing. I, this is the part that I'm confused about, I think. Yeah. Maybe you guys understand that plot a bit more. So, like, he wanted to get back to Earth? Is that the idea? Uh, I don't think he wanted to get back to Earth. He wanted, to out. He he wanted, wanted to people. He wanted people at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, he says something like, oh, I didn't real. I thought I was ready to die, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they touch down and then... Then it's a bit interesting because it's like, is what's he want to do? Um, I was talking to Amy about this and she was saying that she thinks he wanted to continue with the mission, which he keeps saying, but I don't know if he believes that either. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure it's as simple as he just wants to get off the planet. And well, That's what I mean, like to get back home or something. He wants to get off the he planet. He just wants something. He wasn't ready to die. Is it at its simplest, you know, mm-hmm. he wasn't ready to be... That's his, that's his whole um, speech about the survival instinct. You know, you like you think you've forgotten, but then in that last moment, you see the things like your family or like what you love flash mm. before your eyes, and that's meant to be the justification, right, for what he does. Mm. Yeah, uh, big thematic moment for the film as well, I guess. Right, the the film Interstellar is interesting because, well, I basically think that like Nolan's films are quite interesting when it comes to themes mm. and themes as plot devices, sort of. Um, Nolan's handling of people and love and things like this is very interesting in context and in Interstellar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about Tenet just recently, he is a bit, I think, ham-fisted with the, the love and the morals and the why people are motivated to do things. Like, you've just got a mum who loves her kid just because and there's no payoff as to why. Mm-hmm. She loves him and why we should care about well, them. Well, I mean, she's a mother, which is probably a given assumption that you hope you love your child. Yeah, but that's about as far as it goes, right? Okay, um, I'm just saying. No, I understand. <laughs> I'm just... I'm, I'm, You're like, I don't get it. <laughs> What's all this What's love so good stuff? about this kid? <laughs> um, but yeah, Interstellar fully leans into the love thing and the human connection thing. Mm-hmm. You know, does it work for you, Nick? I, so the first time it like really comes up is when Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway gives her like monologue about it. Yeah. Which I think is a pretty good performance and like a pretty good moment. And it works like kind of character wise because then you've got Matthew McConaughey like doubting her because of, you know, this stuff. And it's like the tension between the two characters. So I kind of like it. It's like, oh yeah, maybe that's why he put it in there. Cause like I forgot why he put it in there. And then the love thing comes up again at the end when Matthew McConaughey is pulling the strings and stuff like that. And he's like, it's quantifiable. <laughs> and I like there, I don't really love it as much. I'm going to be honest. It's like, you don't necessarily, I, I don't feel like. The thing, like, I mean, you've kind of pushed me into, like, a criticism when I wasn't ready to come up criticizing off the bat, but I'll do it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> is with Nolan films that, like, they obviously, like, operate on such a high level of complexity. Sometimes I just kind of wish that he would pick one thing and stick with it. So I'm like, if you're going to make this thing about love and a narrative about love and that's the story, then it's, like, put more effort into it because it feels tacked onto the science and all that all other stuff that you're really setting up the world and trying to make it work. So, but it's funny, like, I think plenty of people really love this movie and then kind of feel like that stuff's corny and they don't enjoy that part as well. Yeah. I think it's good. I think it's like the the love idea is a way to express a human value in these endeavors and like a way to try and understand, because it's all, all from a human perspective. You can't really escape that. Like, it's a film about humans trying to find another planet and it's a film made by humans. Like, you know, it's kind of going to come back to that kind of how do we rationalise these themes and, like, the idea that time is scary. Like, that's kind of mm. reiterated throughout the movie. Mm. Like, um, I'm a real physicist, I think I say at one point, because I fear time. 
Mm. So it's like, you know, what's going to be the thread through that? Like if we can't quantify it or if we can't control it and it's, we're trying to understand it, it does seem to be the language or the idea of love or human connection, however you want to label it. Yeah. But I think it's quite powerful. Like I'm all for it. Maybe that's the romantic inside of me. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, it's, uh, and like on the same thread, it's like comparing it to Tenet and like the, um, you know, morality or, you know, through line in that that's the emotional line through that film i feel like this one even like love dialogue aside story and you know the monologues about love works a lot better than that film and it's a lot more convincing like the whole father-daughter thing for me at least personally works quite well like i actually mm. kind of do buy into that a bit even i also think the child actor oh it's really great brilliant unreal i'll get her yeah. name up because i wanted to shout her out yeah but keep going niece no, let's wait and shout her out. Mackenzie Foy <laughs> as Young Murphy. Young Murphy. She's Young oh, Murphy. She's phenomenal. Yeah, she's I feel good. like her acting was the emotional pull for me in the film. Mm. Like that got me hooked and then the rest of the film kind of, like the tone was set. Yeah. Yeah, she gives one of the great daughter-dad relations, like performances, right? Mm. Yeah. What else do you think of? Um, I don't know. I just can't help. Don't you think it's weird that the brother... <laughs> Just doesn't get the same love. Yes, all the yes, same. yes. And this he is, is definitely the black especially seat. when it's Timothy Chalamet. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, but he love turns child. into Casey Affleck, and they go, "Oh yeah, we don't like him anymore. Yeah, He's not like as yeah. hot." Um, yeah, Tim. It was great seeing Tim in this. Um, yeah. I forgot he was in this, yeah. and. He's in so many random things. He's in um, Homeland. Have you guys watched that? show? Oh, he's in Homeland. Yeah, as... like in the early seasons, he's like one of the um, school friends of the daughter. Oh. Well, I guess he had. Like, it makes sense that a kid actor who was in a bunch of stuff grows into a legit actor. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It, that's the, the system. Especially um, when it's, like, really good stuff that he's in. Mm. And it's, it's just rewarding to see him come back. Yeah, but you can't imagine him paying, like, the son that he plays in this. Yes. Like, he's very much like, oh, dad, leave me alone. He's always like, huh, Murphy's Law. Yeah. And then she's like, stop. Like, you know, two brain cells sort of thing. Like, they do undersell him a bit. And he continually yeah. throughout the movie makes stupid decisions. Yes. <laughs> like, you mean as what what even as an adult. Oh, what's his name? Um, char- Casey Casey Affleck. Affleck. The yeah. character is Tom Cooper. Tom Cooper. So Tom's a bit of a a doofus, isn't he? Um Yeah. It's kind of strange that bit towards the end when he's just not willing to move despite like yes. in terms his children are getting ill, can't breathe properly. Like what's that about? Yeah, it doesn't, it makes sense on like a level where you go, oh yeah, he's, um, what they're getting at is he's too tied to the farm, but I don't feel like it actually makes sense. Yeah, or he's scared maybe, mm. um, but he didn't throw Murph's stuff out and his son did not go through Murph's things. <laughs> Under any <Yeah>. circumstances. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such an awkward scene that, you know, as in terms of a film with a great child acting performance, <laughs> that is also rough. <laughs> a comedic acting performance. <laughs> From their son, um, <laughs> whatever you want to look up his name as well. Give him a oh, look. I don't think he, he, he made. Out? I don't think he made the list. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know how about being below two point five? He's just as good. Uh, look, he he doesn't even show up on the Wikipedia list oh, wow. of main cast. So well, I mean, he had three lines in the film, and they were pretty memorable. <laughs> Sorry, it's just my cough. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Back to love. It's always back, back to love. To love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what Interstellar teaches us. It's yeah. always about love, guys. Yeah. I guess I can tie this into the comments about Casey Affleck's character in that I think a thing with Nolan films is that there's so many ideas going on that inevitably you're going to be left like a little bit maybe 
underwhelmed with some sort of thing that he's introduced. Like he mm. does introduce so many ideas that not all of them get maybe the finale they deserve, which can be frustrating, I think, but it depends on, on uh, like, uh, this is the thing. When we talked about Tenet, we took, we're like a huge part of it is like how forgiving we were to so many things that didn't make sense or like weren't actually fleshed out as much as they should because you go, Oh yeah, the rest of the experience is so good. Mm. And like, mm. so you, you, you like the love part to me that felt, felt a little bit under fleshed out maybe. Um, and, but yeah, I think so. like how do you answer those? Qu- I think it's kind of. But he brings them up though. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you do, if like if you're yeah, a filmmaker and you bring enough. it up, then you have the responsibility to hmm. do something with it. In my opinion. Yeah, I'm quite happy just for it to be an idea that you can, as a viewer, dwell on in your own time and have these kinds of conversations. Yeah. I think that's probably the main criticism of Nolan's films more generally, isn't it? Like what you were just saying then, like he kind of introduces a lot. Hmm. But, but that also makes him so interesting. Yeah, you love him for it that, and you yeah, hate him for yeah. it. It's, it's the, That's so but true. But you, you don't actually hate him for you'd it. Rather, you love yeah, him for yeah. it. Yeah, well, you'd rather <laughs> see someone swing for the fences and yeah. that's what we're getting every single time. Yeah. Um, it's just that I would say that sometimes he's, he can kind of fail on the human stuff. That yeah. is the broad way of saying mm. it. Like it but, works as a plot device, but I don't know if Nolan is saying profound things about love particularly. Yeah, I think that's probably It's not unique point. at least, you know what mm. I mean? It's functional. And it's fine, but it's also just like, like, I, I think it, you've sort of said it before, but you don't come to Interstellar for the love. And yet, whether you like it or not, it's going to be there. And it's having, having said that, there were like good performances that make it work in this film, I would say. Mm. And maybe that's like where, oh, not even that. I'm not, I don't need to undermine Tenet. I think the performances in this are good. So like, you do believe the relationships and the kind of monologues and stuff like that more so than maybe the you would for the script or something like that. Like, mm. yeah. I think he does do something novel and interesting with the idea of love though. Like he gives it a dimension and there's so many scenes where you kind of see that visually, which is pretty impressive. I mean, maybe I'm just a sucker for it, but I was no, like, like completely yeah. justified um, with, I think that's the thing. If you swing, some people are going to like yeah. it or not like it, you know? Um, I guess this is leaping ahead sort of, but it's very relevant, but basically, well, I hope it's relevant. Um, <laughs> basically, one criticism I would say immediately is that the Tesseract scene being the like scene where he's floating through yeah, space. Yeah. Um, case. He, it goes for like about 10 minutes too long for me. Um, I'm, I don't love that. Uh, as I sort of suggested, I'm not, I'm not coming to Interstellar for the, the personal connection between Cooper and... Um, Murph. Murph, yeah. Um, I, I respect that it exists and it sort of functions as well. Um, that's so interesting because for me that's like an integral part. Like, contrastingly, I think that's not even the best emotional scene in the movie. Yeah, that scene at the end there. What, what, would you say the best emotional scene is when um, 23 years has passed and, and they're it's watching a backlog of videos? Like, yes. Oh, that's yeah. just My God, I heart. watched that in <laughs> preparation for this and I prepared notes on it, but like... Let's hear it. What, well, what that scene... I, you know, I'll try and find what it is. Because uh, uh, uh. you just... You feel the gravity of that. It's like they took that risk, you know, that they would lose that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I rewatched it. Um, in preparation for this pod, and I'm glad I did. I would honestly say it's one of the most affecting scenes mm. I've seen. Like, genuinely, full that stop. big, full stop. Um, so, like, even watching it here at the table, like, I was getting, like, holding it back a little bit. <laughs> so the song that plays is called Stay, S-T-A-Y with dots in between, which is different to stay the word because 
Anyway, it's got that motif that keeps playing the whole time. The oh, I can't see. I don't really remember how it goes. But it's an effect in like echoing sort of sound, and you'll know it if you hear it. Um, and McConaughey's just like tearing up. He's like, like he does scrunch- a really good it's job. A really it's not. Good it's not a a weird actor's cry. It's like yeah. well, I think what's good is he doesn't say anything. He just yeah. scrunches up. You know what I mean? It's just and so he's also, uncomfortable. You can tell he's processing twenty three years of his children's life because he's smiling whilst mm-hmm. also completely heartbroken. Yeah. So what that scene is to me is. That is when someone you love dies and you're praying or having conversations maybe at their tombstone or just like in general you're talking to someone who's not there. And they even say something, uh, Casey says, all these messages are just drifting out there in the darkness. Mm. And Murph says, this would be a real good time for you to come back. And it's like, you know, having experienced loss in my own life, like that's what that scene I don't know if that's what he meant, but that scene, and I assume it is what he meant, but that scene is about talking to someone who you think's up there or exists and From is alive. From the perspective of the children, you mean, like them talking to him. Yeah, because yeah. well, they he's hasn't spoken to them in 23 yeah. years. He's all but dead to them. That is just such a great scene about um, talking and like missing people. Like, well, it's it actually is probably the strongest delivery of his idea. Like, so he's big, one of his big ideas is that um, love in uh finds a way (laughs) yeah and love influences us unrelated to time it transcends that and hathaway gives this very lead-in speech that it's like maybe love is telling me to go to that planet um but anyway the point being that you're talking to someone who's not actually there and they're still influencing your life like that shit's super heavy and that is probably nolan's singular most emotional achievement in any of his films yeah there's also that quote that in the film um Something along the lines of you love people who've already passed and, like, what's the social good in that? Mm. So the Mm. idea that just kind of questioning why do we even love? Like, there's no utilitarian or necessarily pragmatic pragmatic reason why we have these really powerful emotions. And that's kind of the launch pad for him to give it a dimension and, like, a force in the film. Mm. So that's probably another reason why I kind of embrace it. And don't resist. Yeah. Just as a theme, it works. And I think that, well, it's hard. It's like dialogue. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just don't like the way something is said. And I think my issue is it's literally just like that scene where he's floating around the bookshelves and he's like, it's love. It's love. <laughs> and and he's just, talking to a robot, yeah. <laughs> like, which is sort of comedic. I just feel like you don't need to say that. You know what I mean? I yeah. feel like that's Yeah, the terminology bit. can be... Because if you felt like you discovered that watching that movie, it would have been infinitely more rewarding mm. than them screaming in your face, right? Yeah, and yeah, like I true. said, Anne Hathaway's speech comes close to coming off heavy-handed, but I think it works for a character moment. You know what I mean? Um, and it's and it's it's really good, and she delivers it really well. I don't know, like I find it quite good. It's just yeah, like the need to like tie it up. You know what I mean? Doesn't really work for me as much. But having said that, I completely agree with like how poignant those early moments are on there's something just really i think what's good about this film is that it's just as much about time as it's about space obviously or like adventure or something like that the whole idea of the same thing though (laughs) it's funny like you know tenet's about time but this film is just as much about is more about time really it's more like Mm. it's about time more in a um sentimental sentimental kind of um Emotional sense. Well, it almost, it almost, yeah, emotional. It connects to the human concern about time more 
more readily than Tenet because we're talking about relativity. Mm. So, you know, you can lose 23 years of your children's lives. Mm. Whereas in Tenet, it was just like the forward, backwards push. But you can take like emotional, you know, just the idea of like reality, uh, <laughs> relativity and like <laughs> losing time is like, even just like as a... Um, uh, a metaphor for something is so poignant. Like you, you can, you know, it's like literal in this film, but you can definitely feel that, you know, in your own sort of way. And like, you know, a good example is how you are reading into that scene of him watching his kids. It's like that concept is ever present. I think for everybody of time, the way it plays on our lives. Yeah. That I'd say that's the great part about this film. That's the film firing all cylinders, you know, like I love that that's in there. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's an interesting, like, I guess that's the contradiction to what, we've said a little bit, which is that when it's, when that thing is functioning at its best, it's really affecting and it's what makes the film really good. Um, but when you're not buying in as much, it's not as important. Um, for example, with the Murph and the Tesseract thing, by the time the Tesseract scene rolls around... It was the Tesseract, sorry? When he's floating through those... Yeah, things. I didn't... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's such a like narrative and like ex machina sort of swing where they're like, oh, you're going to be okay with this and it's going to make sense. And yet it's not even like that important. You know what I mean? I'm not there for that scene. And then it's so funny because like, I thought I was alone in that being like my least favorite part of the film, you know, because I can see people watching me like that. Wow, how cool it's coming together. He's doing that. But I, yeah, I don't really like that too much. So he literally goes into it and I was, I was thinking about this. I'm more interested in Anne Hathaway at that point. I thought they're killing him off and that's powerful enough, you know? And I'm not saying he should have died off, but I'm just saying that, like, I was more interested in the mission proceeding than about him getting home to his daughter at any stage. Um, I I thought it was a good burden on him and I thought it was a good parallel storyline, but I didn't really need it to match up as much. I was pretty impressed with the visuals, though, like when you know, he's behind the bookshelf and you've got, you can literally pluck away like strings at time. But I didn't really like how suddenly Murph just knew what the, what the watch was doing. Like, I didn't buy that. I thought, see, I was still a stick for the scene in terms of the visuals and the sort of the kind of incredible representation of time and the love theme, however you want to label it. But yeah, the fact that I, I didn't really, as a, as a plot um, progression, it really believe that Murph suddenly realized after all those years oh that watch meant something yeah well she literally just says it was you and yeah it's like okay no, we're gonna no roll here on, on <laughs> yeah like how <laughs> well even the fact that they save the human race by showing like what a black hole says or something mm, right like the only information like you saw the whole mission is to find a have inhabitable planet Mm. and then but then actually the thing that saves the human race is what a information on a black hole right yeah well the idea is that they're playing a different game than they thought they were though like that's a twist i guess right in that michael kane in a great michael kane role i think (laughs) yeah let's just compare michael kane roles from this in tenet like the michael kane michael kane roles in in nolan films yeah very good in dark knight He's. I haven't seen as. Mi- what else is he in? Prestige is probably in. Yes, I remember. I Tenet, he's time. in. Interstellar's, he's in. Um, um, Inception, he's Inception in. He's, in. he's the yeah. grandpa. He's actually really good in everyone except. Because he's kind of put to the side. He's in not Tenet. in. He's Tenet more Tenet of a properly. joke. He's in just Tenet. there because it's like, hey, I'm contractually obliged to put him in yeah, every yeah. one of my films. <laughs> so anyway, it's not really a fair discussion. I think he actually is a good steady hand in. He's really good in this, films. I think. Yeah. yeah. 
And, I, you know, you love him. You, I don't know. You like Michael Caine, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No issues there. <laughs> Proceed. Um, <laughs> all right. What was I talking about? About how the, the mission changed. Michael Caine didn't believe that they could actually save humanity or whatever. And then it be, I guess it becomes a new problem is basically what I'm trying to say. Yes. In- um, that's another point discussion unless you want to keep going on that no i have nothing else michael kane one of the bigger dick moves right <laughs> saving the burden of existence See, i reckon that's worse than the matt damon thing yeah that's fair so yeah because that's well, let's think about it did he really need to do that no. like not at all if he you, was if you say dying. i don't know what this is right? what a way to play god like yeah but it's just like giving up on the mission and it's like surely you have more people working on the thing that you don't know and then you also think that, you know, you can go, this is pretty unrealistic. We're probably not going to be able to do it, but we're still going to try. And we have plan B where we're going to do this. Like, I don't think it changes much in people's minds. You yeah, know yeah. I mean? Like, I think the scientists are smart enough to go, yeah, you know, we're probably going to die. We're more concerned with putting humans on another planet and it doesn't ruin their lives. Is that what you're saying? Well, because, like, who are, the four, who are the people who have to decide that the idea that, like, no one who works at NASA would do it if they all thought they were going to die? Like, mm. Mm. But do you think that's believable? Like, I don't no, know. No, I think in that context, like, you're, you're talking sort of in a pretty dire environmental situation that humanity finds itself. And I think there are enough people who are dedicated enough and feel a sense of honour that they would do that, particularly in that, in that line of work. You know, you dedicate your whole life to being an expert and there's a real sense of, like, furthering um, humanity. Yeah, and this is a segue to a similar thing in that there's obviously like climate undertones in this film also very weak climate undertones in tenet as well oh man it i like i feel guilty for keep for continually talking referencing tenet basically but like they're similar films though is the thing what we're it's what we're unpacking here is that they're both very much about time you know they're both based on this idea that the world has ended or something like both, that. Both supposed to be out love as well. Mm. I think the um, audio impact of Tenet was greater than Interstellar. I mean, I think Interstellar is a better film, but I seeing Tenet in the cinemas was like full impact. Like those scenes when they're in the, um, the conference room, the auditorium at the start, mm. and like when the, um, the husband is kind of being violent and his voice just like rumbles. Mm. Like it's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, it's such a... It's interesting because I would say Tenet's big selling point is its visuals. Like, it's a visual story. But you would also say Interstellar's big exactly, selling point is visuals. Um, yeah. Anyway, the, yeah. it just reminds me that Nolan can also be a bit more nuanced. And that was... Exactly. I forgot about that. Yeah. And that's funny. It's like, I can't help it. And this was my thing that I was going to say at some point. I just feel this is so much better than Tenet. And I also really liked Tenet. Like, I liked Tenet quite a lot. But it's also like if you're comparing them on like all the factors you compare them on, it's like this one succeeds probably in every way. Like, Yeah, how do you even split that though? Because if we're talking business end of this pod, like would, that, would this film have changed your rating and your recency bias towards Tenet? But it's hard in that so much of it is like the fact that there, it's event cinema and it's, you're comparing it to the rest of cinema, not just to exactly. every yeah, Nolan that's film. Point. Yeah. And this is the thing, like I was speaking to Alan about um, Nolan films because I was like, Alan gave Tenet a four and I was like surprised that she gave it a four because of that aforementioned very stringent rating system that she has. And then I was shocked myself. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, oh, you know, I wasn't sure. I didn't think you, for some reason I didn't think Alan would like it. And then, and I was like, oh, you like Nolan? You're like, who doesn't like Nolan? I was like, oh, people complain that it's like, you know, there'll be like a really highly 
like upvoted negative comment, but he's all these films are still above four rating. Like, was what, when you said that to me, yeah. I was like, that is bullshit. Yeah. Let me refer you it's to all of his films on Letterboxd, really? which are 4.1, 4.2 average. Yeah. It's which kind of like people are obviously gripped by his plot mm. lines. Like, these themes that he delivers, even if they are unpolished and unfinished, just mm. like it's enough to get people thinking, get people engaged. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think what he's good at is the, he's good at recognizing what the film is about, hmm. uh, like mainly about, you know, like like what it what's selling people to this. What are people going to hook on? Well, it's the this existential film? element of all these mm. films as well, which a lot of films kind of mm. don't even touch on. So I think it makes it special when yeah. it is yeah, given the well sort said. of centrality. And I think it's easy to just like critique the fact that, like, because uh, like I watch these films and I go, like, I, sometimes I just go, oh, I wish he played this smaller. Like, I wish that he didn't bite off this much. That I'm disappointed about this part of the film. But obviously that's like half the appeal of it. And I feel like we're yeah. re- retreading things we've already said about Tenet, but it just comes up every time you watch his films, I think. So like, you know, I can go about my rant about love, but it's like, that's not really the most important part of the film. And he knows that, you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. why he felt comfortable to make a three hour film and still leave me like there wasn't enough there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Which is astonishing. Cause I, when I saw it was three hours, I was very anxious. Mm. <laughs> I was like, Oh no. Yeah. I got to say really short three hour film. And I hate long films. I'm very, yeah, hate, I don't have attention. But I, it sustained itself. Like, mm. I was not bored at any point. Yeah. In fact, I was, like, physically responding to everything. Yes, yes. Um, was that a cinema thing or is it this film? Because we well, saw it, 70 I, mil. I think it's both. I think, oh. I think, as with anything, it's enhanced in that IMAX context. But, mm. yeah, I think I would have been responding in that way anyway. Yeah, because I had a very – I was very com- – I was just completely engaged. and. Yeah. It felt great. Like, it feels so good being in a movie and being all in. And, like... There was... I literally had goosebumps because there were yes. scenes of those space scenes. That, oh, my God. I feel like I'm an astronaut. Yes. <laughs> or even when they first land on that other planet and it's um, it's all, like, ocean and yeah. the waves. Like, and mm. when the waves are towering above. And I was literally ducking my head because yeah. I was expecting it to come crashing down. You can't fake that stuff. But when it hits, it hits, you know? It's yeah. like you mm. feel young. You feel like you're, like... Fully engrossed, and it's just like you're watching a unique thing. Mm. Um, the best one was the Matt Damon explosion oh, when yeah. he's docking the ship, and you're watching this thing grab at it, and it's just stressful enough as yeah. is. And then he starts a monologue. He's like, "The thing about man is, yeah. like, <laughs> so good." Like yeah. Amy, who I was with, jumped. Scared dad, who jumped, who <laughs> triggered like a chain reaction of jumps, and I think that everyone was like, it, <laughs> everyone was jumping. <laughs> it felt like a very like everyone was on the same movie page. Like yeah. it felt like everyone was in love with. And what that's they were a good watching. point: is that watching this film, everyone felt like they were with you watching yeah. the film, which is not always what you get, you know. And I thought people were going to clap. I just had this feeling that people were going to clap, and then they didn't clap. Yeah. Because I feel like I watched something recently and they clapped, but it might have been... Would been David Burns? No, because there was like no one in David Burns. It was like five people. Oh, really? Is it thematic? Is that sense of unity thematic mm. from the plot? Because I think it is a little bit like... Yeah. You do feel a certain amount of, we go down, we go down together watching <laughs> something like that, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, it was just so good to watch a movie like that. And that is you know the conclusion on Nolan like it's just fun watching someone going for it and he makes cinema experiences that take you different places whether it's critical places or Mm. not it's still just I think another thing that makes the human element real in this film is it's quite gritty and raw in terms of the um the visuals but like the actors themselves are always quite sweaty and a bit gross and like the tears reveal and I'm just comparing to some other films I've watched recently 
where that's not the case. And it's like you feel an element of detached like or unbelievability in films that don't have that kind of like the raw human physicality. Some really good performances mm. in Interstellar. Good um, cast. Maybe. Great cast. Like, what, I'm going to raise you. Um, you'll raise me great cast. Yeah. Well, every, what's better? Everyone's so what, good. What are, you Who, com- what are you comparing? You, the, the, like the peak Nolan cast, like what, Inception in this? So Inception's mm. DiCaprio, Hardy, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, Marion Colletard. Yes. Uh, uh, Elliot Page. Elliot Page. Um, what's the scarecrow's name? I can't remember his name, but Scarecrow. Um, so that's one of the great Michael Caine. Yeah. The kids <laughs> whose faces you don't see <laughs> until you do. Um, the, yeah, that's Inception pretty anyway, much, right? Great cast in Inception. Great, great cast in this, you know? Well, it's great. It's cool seeing a blockbuster cast. And, well, I guess Nolan's always done blockbuster cast. Well, recently. You know what brings us home? It's literally like Matt Damon, like... I know we've already talked about the Matt Damon oh, the thing, fact but that I haven't got said Matt enough Damon about it. Matt Damon in like the seventh position in the mm. film is amazing. But, yeah, he's a secret. Like I, I referenced it earlier. I know. Let you finish, but <laughs> like him, the, even the reveal. I was watching the reveal because I knew he was coming, but I, lo- I didn't know, and I was like, "What? I love the way there. I love the way they show it because they get on the Doctor Man, and it's very deliberate. They talk about. How Doctor Man's an epic and, person, yeah, a and very so good person. When they show they're in, they're given the debrief of the past scenes. They zoom in on faces on the wall and they don't for, for him. him. Yeah, and they didn't zoom in. And I was like, I, at the time, I was like, that's weird. Like, I wonder why they didn't do that. Because yeah. I so you're already for- thinking about who is this person. Yeah, and I, yeah. like I'd already seen this film, but I'd forgotten like that was the reason why <laughs> they didn't show his face. Yeah, because it's funny. Like it's almost meta in the sense that it's like they go, "Hey, this is a celebrity, and we're not going to give it yeah. away too and early." It, so literally, the scene, the way they do it, they hold the. I watched it before. They hold the handle. It comes back. He sits up. You don't get a full glimpse of his mm, face you get the back yeah thing. you get yeah. the side of his generic yeah. white guy face and then he hugs matt mcconaughey and, and that's when you see it yeah. and you're like oh man yeah. that's so cool yeah really good and like and then he does a bit of fake i'm good guy matt damon he's sipping coffee and like a yeah. jack and he's like well i'm glad you guys showed up and this is the thing <laughs> and you know and his performance is really good because like you've seen it and you know what's ha- coming but you want to believe that it's like that's not going to happen and like you know the planet you know the planet's not good and you're just like oh maybe it is good like but he, he talks about it, it really he's like, like he's like welcome to a, you feel, our new home you it, feel it's so very cold. yeah, and you, yeah. Feel, yeah. you feel excited and you're like fuck yeah like this is going well and then like <laughs> even though you know it's coming it's so funny like it's a really good performance and the other thing is that i think a point that emily made or maybe it was amy was that his when he turns evil like his performance is like so good in that it seems like so impromptu like he really comes across like he's making it up on the spot which is like actually good acting because obviously Mm. the way the plot plays out is predetermined but there's this kind of way just like with the way he's delivering lines and like what i think you get this sense that it's building within him like he's kind of losing control Mm. a bit yeah Mm. and he and and he's like trying to be calm but he's not actually that calm and that's what he goes on that monologue and like Like one bad decision leads mm. to another and he's exactly like he's double down on this now and he's like shit this is my opportunity to do do something and he's like breathing really heavy and going Mm. oh you'll be fine like he's trying to convince himself he's not doing the wrong thing one of the great like really good performance narrative plot devices and cinematic moments where he takes off the mm-hmm. the yeah. transmitter and yeah. you're like oh, oh that actually makes sense like i believe that and then it is the same reason that mcconaughey gets to survive because you know he can't hear the other guys come in mm. um but it's just great seeing that happen and being like oh that's cool like that actually works who else do you want to go through because everyone's everyone's here i feel like okay 
Jessica Anne, Anne Hathaway. Just, Jessica, oh. Anne Hathaway, just briefly. I don't no, know. Longer. Anne okay. Hathaway deserves Hathaway a long. section. Really good in this film. She hasn't had many good roles lately that I know of. And that's what I was thinking. Like, she seemed to be on a bit of a streak at this point. But then... She was in that Witches film, which I haven't seen. Oh. But I don't think, I think it kind of panned. Mm. What is she in it? One I would say a witch. She's like the main witch. Okay. I know Vi- Viola Davis is in it. That one? I think so, yeah. yeah. But didn't... She had some good, like, acclaimed roles, didn't she? Or maybe I'm just thinking of this in Dark Knight Rises. But... No, she's in Les Mis. Yeah, so like I feel like she was really hot at this time, like with yeah. with good roles and stuff. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I remember our family not being big Anne Hathaway. Stock, I really like her. I, I love it. I think she's great. Well, I, yeah, and I didn't understand it watching this because I think she gives a really she's really good in this film. She's not like she's annoying. understated. She's really, yeah. yeah, and she takes her moment. She cries well, <laughs> like <laughs> essentially. That's all you can ask for. Um, a good cry. and you know she's had yeah. I get. I think the reason she gets a little slandered or maybe has a bit of a negative tint is because she's been in some corny stuff like but i think she's in the best corny stuff so like, you like her rom-com cycle of like well what are they they're one day it's like love no, and other drugs no stru- no strings attached is that her no that's no, not her that's natalie portman that's natalie portman oh my bad because uh, the ones she's in that valentine's just day yeah she's in um, and oh, obviously skipping back and not like condemnation Diaries, yeah, yeah princess diaries what was that sorry? princess diaries oh Amazing. Yeah, I stand Great. by it. Apparently, yeah. I saw a thing that like she falls while on the bleachers and that actually happened or something. Oh, she really? slips on the she bleachers. Just... <laughs> yeah. Nice little movie tidbit for you there. Um, anyway, very good. Would I think she's a good... But this is the thing that we're talking about like with the blockbuster thing where you have really good like high-profile actors who are there and prepared to not make themselves the center of attention, which is what she does, is what like mm. Matt Damon does. It's what Casey does. It's what Casey does. Yeah. Jessica, Jessica Chastain as well. Yeah. She's good in this, I think. Even though she gets given a bit of the corny stuff to do, I feel like she's pretty good. Yeah. I think she, she keeps it tame. She doesn't let it get too Because if you're gonna critique anyone's material, it's like Murph's second half of the film is the most where it gets like a bit kind of corny and they they rush through it quite a bit, you know? Like she doesn't really get the Time that she and there's randomly that partner of hers. Yeah. You, you meant to Topher be. Grace. And he's, yeah. Yes, Topher Grace. Great yeah. cameo. He shows up with, ready to smash some skulls. Yeah. Yeah. Pulls out the uh, crowbar. It's like, you're not beating anybody up, Chief. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I know the guy's psycho, but I don't think you're going to need... The, the, or you're going to convince him not to come at you because you're holding a crowbar. Um, mm. Burn down his crops and bring a crowbar. Note, like, I got to say, her setting the crops on fire is a pretty dick move. Like, yeah, I didn't really you could that. literally kill his family. Like, that could have gone really bad. But also, how it suddenly turned around. Like, she's like, oh, I, I figured out, you know, dad's always yeah. been. It's like, and suddenly him, he's like, going to be punch agreeable. in the face because they've made him up to be this psycho guy. And it's mm. like, oh, yeah, like, no, what the cool. hell? What the hell, bro? <laughs> this, this is my Casey Affleck. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? No, dad, you still up there? Because. Uh, I think Casey, I think the Timothy into Casey is the only. I told you this one before, but uh, I think it's alright. Timothy into all right, Casey right. is the only aging process where the pitch and voice actually went upwards. Everyone else's voice drops, except for Timothy into That's Casey. Funny. Um, Maybe yeah. it was all the dust in the air; it had an effect on his airways. <laughs> I like it. You're developing There's some Nolan deeper interpretations available, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want a water? By the way, unrelated to the pod. And we're back, refilled with another another beer. We've yes. got fresh, clean glasses, and we're ready to talk some more Interstellar. 
I just want to talk about how much more social this event is because I was still having beers during the ones where it was just me in the room talking to Tom across <laughs> But there was the an element of shame <laughs> coming yeah, through when you friend. cracked your fourth beer. <laughs> yeah, but then you have your fourth beer by yourself and the podcast ends and you wrap it up and then you just see your own reflection in the dark, the black screen, mm. and you think, who am I? Mm. But hopefully that doesn't happen tonight, but we'll see what happens. When I finished the pod, I checked my phone, I got 23 years of messages, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, guys, I don't know, I miss That's you as four well. Year, four beers buys you. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of an infinite time warp. Let's go right back in there. How good is the wave planet scene? It's so good, right? I'll answer my own question. All right, let's move on. That's great. Okay, wrap that up. <laughs> Wave planet scene. What were you expecting? Actually, I want to address this earlier. When you saw Matt Damon, did you think the movie was going to end in then or no. near? You could tell. You had a bad feeling? What did you think? I didn't know when it was going to end. Like, I thought his character, because, we, because it was Matt Damon, mm. I was like, oh, maybe this is going to be the new plot driver in terms of direction. But obviously, it gets wrapped up pretty quickly. Which uh, is an interesting... I think the structure of this film is quite interesting. Um, First of all, the thing that stands out to me significantly, first of all, is length. Second of all, there's no way this movie exists like this anymore. You're not making a... Damn, bad decision. Get another beer. I'm dying from indigestion over here. Um, Four beers, 23 years, and lots damn. of perps. Oh, goodness. I don't think that anyone's making... Well, I don't know. Maybe it's too sweeping, but... 169-minute space film seems pretty ambigu- ambitious now. I mean, I don't think... Uh, but it's space. I disagree. <laughs> I, th- I just... This film was so clear that... I feel that like it, films it, like nowadays are all too long. Well, I guess they have to be now because there's fewer films, so you have to make your statement when you're on screen. I guess they're also competing with TV series. Well, that's what I'm saying. This yeah. film is immediately clear that it could be a TV series to me. And I think I like the movie version so much better because... As opposed kind of like to a the... Low, <laughs> like, you're, you're like... You know, the hypothetical thing they made sucks, and this yeah, is yeah. so much better. <laughs> okay. Oh, that TV series. Well, okay, let me just reference what I love about this film. That's the way I'll bring it back to just talking about this film. I love that this film deals with, I think the plot hurdles are sort of minor in a beautiful way. Um, I think that it's got this nice, like, oh, our first thing is getting through the black hole, and you're like, oh, they're going to get through the black hole. Then they get through the black hole, and that's where I can see an episode ending. Oh, sorry, so the first episode is them on the Earth, and then it's like, oh, the Earth's cooked. We need to do something to save it. The second episode is them finding out about NASA. And then he starts some training course or something like that. The third ep is launching and getting to the black hole. The fourth ep is getting through and making the decision to land on the wave planet. The fifth episode is being on the wave planet. And it takes way, mu- way longer than it should. The sixth scene is the repercussions of the wave planet. The seventh scene is going to Dr. Mann's. And you end on the cliffhanger where you find out he might not be good. The eighth mm. episode is them getting back in space. The hypothetical TV show sounds amazing. No, it, it doesn't though, because <laughs> like the the no. issue for me is that the the TV show version of this is so like drawn out. Yeah, yeah. And what I love is this film bounces from like small problem but overwhelming scale. I think it has a very good grasp of how useless humans should be in space, and I love that. Trivial things. I love that this film is like pushing the trivial issues in space are huge issues. I love that it's like Matt Damon can't lock onto the thing mm, and yeah. you're getting all this tension from watching a robot just Absolutely. go like this. And that's like the way space, like that lots of movies I think try to do with space is like be like, hey, space in itself is really scary. 
And this movie, there's no bad guy. Like Matt Damon does something bad, but he's not a bad guy or the villain. Like it's an adventure film, really, mm. that is set in a place that is dangerous, mm. you know, and new, like bases the new frontier. But it's not thing. aliens. It's oh. it's like it's not. Well, it's kind of humans because of the way that we treated Earth. You know? Yeah, I think human. Sorry, I don't mean. Okay. I don't think that humans. I like that humans sort of take a back seat. Mm. I think that it's more about teamwork and fighting against this thing that doesn't have an agenda. I love so that about like the film. you mean like individual humans take the back seat? It's like the yeah. unified effort. Yeah, and I love that it's about fuel conservation and it's about making efficient choices. And yeah. it's like, because that's what actually surviving is like. Like you only need to make some stupid mistake in your own life mm. um, and you have to problem solve. And it, like it, they don't, human issues don't actually come from like targeted forces often, you know? Like, problem solving is all about something that doesn't have an agenda, but it screws up your plan sort of thing. Mm. And I just love that in this film. I love how it makes you feel so helpless as a human. And it's like humans are... But also hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Humans are ants. What did you expect when you sent a big metal thing that's protecting them into the middle of nowhere? I love how it grasps the scale of space. Yeah. I think it's a good achievement. Sorry, I thought I had something to add, but I didn't. Speechless? <laughs> wow, that's... wow, that TV show, The Cellar, oh, Speechless. I... So, yeah, I just don't like the TV show. It's too dramatised. and I, well, I just it... think it's just kind of a credit to the film that they were able to maintain that momentum and have that narrative arc. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's really good. Okay, yeah, so I do have a thought now that we're talking back at TV Congrats. show. My f- oh, thank you. It's my first <laughs> thought of the day. Um, my favourite section of this film is the first section in my opinion like i think that the whole adventure part is like super exciting and you've got all these like really be- like i would call them legitimately beautiful like beautiful oh, scenes yeah. of the spaceship and things happening on the spaceship and things moving and silence kicking in and then they're doing this and then it's silent again and you just like it's so immersive in, mm. in and it's like i don't know like i really like that part of the film and it's like this kind of high you get where there's no, you're free from story in any too serious way and you're just mm-hmm. enjoying the world because almost like you get pulled down because you're like, oh, you have to wrap this up or we have to come up with a solution to it. But like when they're just showing those cool ass spaceship scenes and they're cutting to silence and you can hear everyone breathing like three rows down, like it's, a, it's just an awesome, awesome part of the movie. And you feel the adventure that the adventure is going on in, the, in this film. Absolutely. Well, you don't just hear silence. You hear the IMAX projector going... (laughs) (laughs) Which I love as well. I don't know. It's part of the experience for some reason. It's very... um, Well, that's that whole feeling of like, oh, if you're going down, we're all going down. Like when you're watching. (laughs) Well, I feel like I... Well, because I don't really remember, but did movies we watched in the early 2000s as kids, they were probably digital projections, projections, right? Not film. Yeah. Um, So I love how you could how like it's exciting again to relive this vintage format you know um the same thing we were talking about maybe not the most relevant to this film but we're talking about practical effects recently um and i love when you watch a practical effect because it feels earned like it has a sense of this yeah um and same with like watching something on imax and something on film it feels like a bit grittier whatever that means and a bit more like you're part of a moment sort of thing yeah anyway similarly I think they do capture like the excitement of space really well at the start of the film, like you're saying. Um, and I guess, I guess the reason that the thing that's so commendable about that is that the film lets you breathe on that for a bit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. whole film's not about that. It's not all about the excitement of going to space. It's not pro space, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it lets you breathe on that. And then you get to the next arc, which is a bit more how helpless humans are in space. And then the next one's a bit more humanity, the failures of humanity. So like the Matt Damon stuff. And then finally, it's about, um, I guess, optimistic love. resolution <laughs> about love, you know. Yeah. Um, so I just love that this film takes you so many places. And I was just amazed at how enjoyable the film was, sort of remembering bits and pieces. I didn't remember all of it, but I thought it was just such a gripping film. And I, I think that, as we've talked about Nolan, I think that is the biggest thing you can give to Nolan, that his films are gripping. You want to know what's yeah. going to happen. And that's why they get those high ratings, you know, like even if people critique his plot holes or whatever. It's like, no, fundamentally you're gripped. Mm-hmm. Do you think he it's a flaw that he doesn't scathe the excesses of human beings enough in his in the film? So like the whole background plot is the fact that they talk about like the excesses of the twenty first century or mm. something like that. And it's like, okay, but we're not gonna learn any moral lessons about that as a society. <laughs> we're just gonna like be like, Cool, see ya on the deal next with planet. It. Yeah. yeah. We didn't really suffer as humanity. Maybe every other country apart from America suffered and had to die, but the Americans got off No, I think it's the opposite. America's the only country that is suffering. Everyone else is like still in a futuristic flying cars world that's going fine. We put the dome from the Simpsons movie over the (laughs) America. Um, Yeah, I think it's a really interesting... I know, I guess we keep grouping with Nolan because we can, but we don't have to. But it's an interesting world-building film at the start because i think a distinguished chunk in my episode breakdown of this film is the part where they're talking about earth's backstory um i find it quite an interesting thing because he probably goes into more detail than he needs to but i also love the world building stuff i think world building is really fun as a viewer um because at the world building stage of a film, you're not let down. It's all like well, it's oh. fully immersive as well. Yeah, and you're like, this could it's, happen. It's interesting. Oh, what are they going? What like why corn? You know, there's no mm. reason it should be corn unless there is. But but here's the thing, right? It seems almost counterintuitive to spend so much time world building on Earth only to spend the rest of the film not on Earth. Yes, but I think the whole the corn thing and the um the crops is kind of reminiscent of like the field of dreams idea. Oh, yeah. That's kind of the, that's what I had mm. in my mind watching that. And I thought that's an interesting feeling to insert in the film because obviously it's kind of making the point that the hopes and dreams of humanity on earth have been crushed and i just think that the whole point of doing that earth building it actually like subtly makes you get this connection with the importance of the mission you know what i mean or like the gravity of what's going on that maybe you don't get if you don't actually put that effort in and it makes like you connect with his because there's, there's an emotional connection between him and wanting to see his family, and then there's also this emotional connection with space, the mission space and travel. space and planet Earth and everyone living there in the doomed crop world. I don't know. It's very funny. Like I can't the remember. doomed field of dreams. <laughs> yeah, and they're at dinner, and she goes to dinner at at Casey Affleck's house. She's like, eat more of your strudel or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like one of those throwaway lines that it's like, hey, we're all eating corn for everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I read it though. I liked yeah, it. It's funny. Um, yeah, that's funny. It's like in case you didn't get it, they're only eating corn. Yeah. <laughs> I think it has a very vintage appeal yeah. being in love with space. And I'd say, I can't remember what it felt like in 2013 or 14. I guess 13 when it was made. I can't remember what everyone felt towards NASA, but I feel like it's interesting because... 
whilst it's obviously a, a genreed and uh, deliberate perspective, I think he's pretty much expressing the same view that the characters do. It's just like, how come no one cares about space travel anymore? You know, oh, we could care about it when Russia were trying to, you know, I like that they say that the bankrupt Russia thing. That's a nice little tidbit. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I like that. A friend was telling me that, I mean, I don't know how true this is, but that um, a bunch of NASA astronauts watched this film and were kind of overwhelmed by it in the best way, like really hit emotionally because it really reflected their idea of the world and like exactly kind of what it was like to be working on a mission and to be devoted to space. That's a pretty powerful point. Mm. Yeah. I can do a little bit on the science in this film. Let's do it. A little bit of research. Okay. Can I get a science song to play right now? Orbital phase initiated. Thank, thank you for that one. That one was really good. Um, so I watched like a few minutes on Neil deGrasse talking about the legitimacy of the science, and it's pretty good. Um, so they actually had a guy called Kip Thorne who has since won a Nobel Prize, I think, on physics. Yeah, but he was an executive producer of the film and an advisor, which is really cool. And as Neil deGrasse stated, he said it's uh, it's Neil deGrasse. I don't think it's deGrasse. No, Degrassi, hi. Right. <laughs> Neil Degrassi, So he's a different hi. person. Yeah. He's um, from Degrassi. He's Canadian. <laughs> yes. Um, he was saying that, like, with science fiction, I like when they start with the truth and then break off from the truth. Mm. And that's probably yeah. a really good point, you know. Yeah. Um, Got to have your foundations. Yeah. And so he's like, he, he said it would be an eight or a nine out of ten on factual really? legitimacy. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, but I think high. taking that other perspective, it's a good idea. He's saying that, like, the the physics works functionally. They don't re- abuse the physics. The stuff that they abuse is obviously fake, so it's yeah. fine. Well, it's almost like you get to the unknowns of the real world and you go, here's what it is. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And as a physicist, you're like, yeah, well, we don't know, so that might as well be the yeah. answer for yeah, the I'll movie. I'll give it away. Yeah. A bit of fictional drama. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the waves, as explained, uh, their title... So they published a whole book on the science in this film, which is a really oh, cool really? idea. I rate that. Um, their tidal waves rather than tsunamis. So what that means is that the planet is rotating through waves. So the waves are <gasps> actually like a windmill sort of thing. Oh my where god, that's always so cool! There. And that's why they don't crash. That's why they're always coming through, which is such a cool idea, right? I'm so, just reliving that scene. <laughs> yeah, the black hole is holding them up. Um, and speaking of tediousness, mm. before I love that they like it's such a powerful moment when they just like it's so cool that inaction is the big action mm. in that scene. It's yeah. like. We have to wait on this planet for forty-five minutes, and you, like as a viewer, your heart just yeah. sinks. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> so trivial, so bad. And when when the guy on the ship walks out and he's got the beard, and it's just like so emotional. He's like, "I didn't think it would be right to be sleeping," and you're like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> and then you like feel so much sympathy for this guy. You're like, "Fuck, you've just been sitting there for doing nothing." Oh, bad call from his part. I reckon he had the worst, maybe one of the worst existences in the is film. He, how does he die? He gets, blown, he gets blown up, right? Yeah. yeah. So he spends 23 years waiting for these motherfuckers. On his own. And, and, then, <laughs> and then he gets blown up by Matt Damon. Yeah. yeah. I think we need to talk about how quickly the film kills off anyone who's not Anne Hathaway or Matthew McConaughey. Because the 
First of all, you're on the water, the Fringe wave man. planet, yeah. And the dude with the angry eyebrows—he oh, looks so like quickly. a Wes Anderson character, I think. Yeah, good call. Um, I can get his name up quickly. Uh, I think he is—he's Romilly. 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 He is the guy who dies because Anne Hathaway is an idiot. He basically just like Anne Hathaway runs out, yeah, and they're just like. Pull it back. And he's like, I'll save her. And he jogs out. And then the robot fully functionally saves everyone but that guy very quickly. And he just dies and the film does not really... Like, they care a little bit, but they care more about the time wasted yeah. rather than him dying. Which yeah. Is not... It's like, oh, whoops. But 23 years. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm in, you know, in theme with the film, going to move on quickly from this guy's death to a different topic. <laughs> but we haven't spoken about the robot design, which we don't necessarily have to talk about now, but I think it's definitely worth talking oh, about. I loved it. I want to talk about it in a second okay. because I've got more points to tie in with that. I can talk about it whenever. All right, now we, we know that Alan is available to talk about yeah. it whenever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so we also, apparently, Neil deGrasse said that there are thousands of potentially viable planets that Earth already has a watch on. So a bit of a stretch of the truth is that we'd need to go to a black hole anyway and we'd need to go to some place that's uncharted. So there are places that NASA already has their eye on, basically. I thought that was interesting. Isn't um, the idea that we're looking at other planets oh, that we have to so move defeatist. to just crazy? Yeah. Just crazy that we actually, like, like, we think, oh, you know, we better be safe that, you know, just in case we ruin this planet, like the idea that that's like an option is well, unbelievable. I think the film captures it well that it is just so unnatural and so stupid that we should want to leave but the almost, planet that's perfect like for us. It's almost like we don't deserve another planet. Exactly. Can't look after this there planet. should be some plot, subplot where it's like, okay, have you ever thought about the fact we deserve to die with this planet that we destroyed and yeah. every other species that yeah, we killed? You could give that and to this, Matt Damon a little bit, I reckon. But and that's the thing. Like, there's definitely is these ideas of like consumerism and you know mass capitalism destroying the planet and then they just don't really you know talk about like, it popcorn maybe, get maybe. your popcorn and then they go and they just make a new museum on the new spaceship and they're yeah. like come pay and watch look at the where murph grew up <laughs> it's like oh. maybe there's kind of like that's kind of implied in that um that speech about survival instincts like the fact that we always want that little bit more and we're going to mm. keep pushing you know yeah. even when it seems hopeless it's like it's kind of that human instinct that human drive yeah which is good and bad. Maybe Michael Caine's the real hero and he's like, <laughs> okay, these motherfuckers don't deserve it. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to put this burden on it. You did this. Yeah. Like telling them last words, you suck, we're going to die. Yeah. How is that even going to work though, the alternative plan to like um, put humans on another planet? I think it's more just like we, we can't succeed. This is the closest we can get to trying to succeed. But can you imagine that? Just these babies popping out. Do you reckon they like... They'd make their Intended own history, to, basically. Do you think they meant to send some sort of information and be like, hey, this is the history of... I'm getting they must have. They strange hypotheticals. They could put a Kindle down and they would have had like 50 books on it. Well, it's like <laughs> the like, modern, it would be, it would the be modern like, Rosetta Stone. Rosetta yeah. Stone, sorry. And, they, and they're like, okay, this is English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. the human existence of mankind. Have either of you read or watched Lord of the Flies? Yes, it's kind, of, it. it's kind of like that. Good stuff. I'm glad that we We're both... fist pumping on camera. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, Ellen, Ellen Guys, obviously she brought it up. She deserves a fist oh, bump. Like, I, it was implied. You, implied oh, yeah. If you want, but <laughs> I just feel like I feel. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that's where my mind went with that whole idea of like just putting babies on or like little humans on another planet. It's mm. like that's not necessarily going to be a good thing. But here's the question, and it's along that line: Do you think that to preserve mankind, we're just pre- preserve? Oh, sorry, humankind. 
to preserve humankind, it's only about preserving us as a species or like mm. it's preserving our culture as well. Because mm. like there's no real connection between us and these hypothetical people who live on another yeah. planet who grow up and have their own society. Do you know what but I mean? But I think that's kind of like just thinking about Lord of the Flies. It kind of makes the argument that there are some kind of inherent sensibilities that humans have, like the idea to create a fair system or like the idea of natural justice or the idea of um, even democracy, like some kind of fair mm. election of leaders. That all comes out in that kind of narrative of, you know, these humans without any pretext. Mm. So it'd be interesting, like the idea that, you know, humans are always without their culture, like how much of culture is actually human or like predetermined. You know, genetic even. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and you're saying it as sort of like a motivation thing. I, I imagine it's well, just interesting because like a lot of it comes from ego as well, right? Like if we're talking about the survival instinct, a part of that as well, if you're doing it, succeeded is that not wanting to be, it's oh, not wanting yeah, to let dying, humans die. Fail, yeah. Fail, yeah. Like dying is failure. You know mm, what I mean? Mm. And that's probably part of Matt Damon's like thing is that he's failed and he can't handle the fact that he has yeah. failed. He's, and that's what he says. He never thought that he wasn't going to be the one who made it mm. to that planet. Right. Yeah. Let's go back to science. Um, so, on a closer to reality level, apparently, um, time distortion is obviously real, but even GPS satellites are affected by time distortion because of the lack of gravity. Oh my God. So, GPS like clocks have to be adjusted before they get beamed back. There's a calculation that goes into that. Pretty interesting. interesting. Um, <sighs> apparently, if you go into a black hole, right? So... Something that you're probably Oh, yeah, I plan on going into one on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Tell me how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, you, in theory, only die if you go straight into a black hole. Like, your trajectory is trending towards the black hole. But if you go around a black hole like they do, you can hypothetically survive. So, if you go in, there is, like, I think it's, like, infinite mass or something. I don't remember what he said. But he said that you get stretched out and then you'll split and then you'll split, like, a gajillion times as you get pulled apart. But if you, in theory, if you're, like, on an orbit or something like that, you could survive. Finally, Tesseract. What does Tesseract mean? Obviously, a popular word in, I think, Avengers. They talk about Tesseract. Is, do they call the Allspark a Tesseract in Transformers or am I just making that up? I don't know. There's a million objects that are of extreme importance for one film <laughs> and then just move on. So yes. Okay. That's probably what it means, right? Plot device for, <laughs> <laughs> for action movie. Do, deuce ex machina. Um, yeah. So that in geometry, a tesseract is a four-dimensional analog of the cube. The tesseract is to the cube as the cube it's is to, to the square. square. Right. So that's pretty Whoa, cool. That's cool. Yeah. So it's, it seems like more of a concept than a literal thing. You know, it's the idea of a fourth. The idea of it being it's a as fourth a cube dimension, is to right? a square. It's like the idea that it's an extra dimension mm. to the cube. What's a bit of a sidebar? What a, what dimension? You, have you read um, Slaughterhouse Five? What great book! I've read great that. book. I strongly recommend. What the, the aliens in that live in a different what dimension? They're in the fourth dimension, right? I think they've got time. That's the whole reason you jump in between. Yeah, different things. Great book. Anyway, just a sidebar. I don't book. really read that often, but when I do, I like love the books that I read, sort yeah. of. Like, wow, words have yeah. meaning. Yeah. Tesseracts sounds like a bit of a buzzword that you can use for whatever you want. But yeah. 
So that's a bit of science for you. That's science week over? That was a pretty good little science bit. Um, <laughs> I don't think I need to overdo the science either because we all know... It. Like, it feels right in this film. Yeah, that's true. It feels, you know, Tenet again. Just feels more, it feels more right than Tenet, doesn't it? Something seems more right about the, the science. Maybe mm. it's just the... Like, we kind of accept relativity. Like, well, relativity's real. Yeah, but I think it's very accessible as a concept. Yeah, I think it's maybe what's accessible about it is that it's not like something that we can like closely observe versus something in space where like seems about right. I don't really have a reference point to understand that. You know what I mean? And especially but like it's also that like relative. I think the way that time is morphed in this film is on the basis of relativity, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an objective thing that humans have to navigate, whereas in Tenet. The, well, it's the push of and pull of ta- the push push and pull of time is kind of more human directed, yeah. And so perhaps we're a bit more resistant to the believability of that. Yeah, well, it's based in a scientific concept of being entropy, but I think that there's a part where like entropy, you just would be like, that's not how it works, you know. That was well said. Um, I think probably what the great angle is that time is objective in the film, but it's experienced subjectively. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to tenant where it's sort of manipulated subjectively mm. like it's an individual thing as opposed to a group thing so it's a bit un the opposite of overwhelming you know like it's not yeah. bigger than them it's literally it's them. not outwards it's inwards i think yeah. what's hard to believe about like time manipulation as well as that like that it's contained to like a certain plot in like a film like it's like hey this is only it's only notable that people are moving back in time during you know this what week long period under which the, you know, tenant takes place, which to me, like, even whether it's this or like some other movie that does time travel, you're always kind of like, that doesn't feel right. Like, you feel like it would be unknown because for centuries people have been going back in time or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess something I want to touch on a little earlier, I think it's, um, <laughs> do you think that Nolan, it's a shortcoming of his that he can't comment, can't make political statements in his films or it's a marketing deliberate maneuver? I would say that if one of his biggest criticisms is that he fits too much, tries to fit too much into his films, then, you know, you can't really bag him for not putting that in. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But, but, this, but, is, but this, so is, this is almost political. This film is close to being political without being political. And Tenet right? is close to being political without as well. I think, yeah. It's kind of like shoot in at the end, don't get me wrong. But, but maybe it's that kind of openness that we can talk... You can take political directives or ideas from these films without it being like a dogma, like without it being kind of forced onto you. I kind of wish that he would just go all out with a political message in one of them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's so far into his career that it's like, okay, just do it and see what happens. Like people, mm-hmm. there'll be people who don't respond to that, but I think that it would be a rather brave thing to do and something that he has the actual power to do as well. Because like, obviously he's like intended, he goes, I want to put a climate change message in this film, but he really doesn't hold anyone accountable or make it anything that you would leave it and go like, wow, now I feel differently about yeah, climate change. Yeah, I need to change. change my behavior. And I feel like he could do that. Like imagine... Rapping, you don't think he could pull it off in a film? You keep going if you want. I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like he has the ability. Like, he's a great filmmaker, and we're talking about this. Like, he could, he could do it. Maybe yeah. there's a risk, though, in bringing very tangible and immediate and real issues into a film which is very open ended and is perhaps unreal in a lot of ways. Like, we're talking about. I agree, yeah. but I think it's a risk that is worth taking, is my, my opinion. Yeah. 
I think that it would be... I think that the risk would be that it gets overlooked or that it almost has the opposite effect for those issues where it's like it becomes, oh, that's not even real because it's in a space film. Mm, that's a good point. I mean, but, I'm, but, I'm inclined but, to agree with you, but I think yeah. there are sort of... But I think history is full of films that have different subtexts that people don't understand. The first one that comes to my mind is how like X-Men is to do with like homosexuality, you know what I mean? And like... They make these like blaring, like in one of the X-Men films, one of the early ones, they're like, one of the parents is like, because they're mutants, right? Mm. And one of the parents is like, oh, have you tried not being a mutant? Like, which mm. is obviously like a real thing about, yeah. so blatantly obvious, but people still miss that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but there's also value in that for people who are picking up on that subtext and they go, yeah. hey, this is a movie that's actually meant to reflect something that's going on. So I just think that he has the ability to do it. I'm not with this film specifically. I guess maybe I'm more talking about yeah, Tenet. Yeah, that's fair. Because this film does do a lot of things right beyond just being a space adventure film, I think is what we've said. Like it does the emotional things about time, like you were talking about before, really hits it on the head and that's like a part that's not inherent with the concept of the film and the selling point of the film, I think. Yes. I'm just saying, I think he has it in him is, is the thing. Yeah. Um. I don't think he does. I think that, <laughs> and I don't. I'll let you go on, but yeah. <laughs> I'd like him to try. I'd like I him to think, not do it. I don't it. think he actually has the power to. Um, because of people in his in his ear or what? Because like I, you know, I gave you the answer in my question. I think it's the market. I think that you can't sell global films with political agendas because you have but to. You sell. can be smart about it. Like X Men, I'm just literally talking about as a superhero movie that has a, a social undertone. Is this film already? not going to get made anymore though because it is so nuanced like tenant is a lot heavier handed and we like it's a lot more like big explosions big scenes backwards and forwards it's very visual this film is a lot more subtle um narratively and plot wise so i don't think that he's going to get funded to make a film that's political. People don't want to upset people. It's like, what do you define as political? Though? No, I understand. And yeah. I'm just saying that... All film is inherently just, political in yeah. that, you know, you a person who is scathing on like, we talk about like Rambo and Reaganism, right? So... The era is just changing Alan. rapidly. You're talking about X-Men, which was made in 2001, 2004, right. whatever. Yeah. I think the climate has already rapidly shifted. But Maybe you're talking about I'm the talking ability about to make big budget films. That sell globally. Yeah, yes, but I'm I'm not saying it's not a risk. I'm saying that it's a risk that a filmmaker of his regard well, could take. take. He well, could wouldn't take you it. say that Tenet this film flopped. is political because it's really esteeming NASA, like it's really esteeming American endeavors in space? Like that exactly. to other countries would be political. So I think it's like, what do you define as political in the first place? Let's already take into consideration that this film was made in 2014. We're in 2021 now. Seven years has gone by. And I think you can overstate these sort of things, but it, you know, this was a film that's made in a different era globally and uh, morally. Like this is a like it is made in a film. It is a film that's made during the Obama administration, and I've heard more about this than researched it myself. But I think that sort of thing is important. You look at a film like there's an optimism. Do you think about man uh, as in or well, as in like if this film was made under Trump, we wouldn't be so. I think it would be more pessimistic about yeah, the about the way the systems operate. Yeah, that makes sense. I would agree with that. Um, and I think the sort of the go-to example, well, like a go-to example in my head is something like Contagion, mm -hmm. which has been such a fascinating film 
you know, being living through a pandemic as a reference point because the science, like the global science community, is very cooperative in that film, and yet today we don't yeah. see that same thing playing out before our eyes. I think that attitudes have changed faster in globalization and literally in uh, who you make movies for has changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah, okay, but just jumping back a few steps to the thing, it's like you're saying that he couldn't do it. I'm saying he could lose $80 million on his budget and still have a 50 million, you know, like a, have a many million dollar film mm. and he could do that film. Like it's not, it's literally not impossible. I think the, the film that follows Tenet's going to be an intro, uh, like a huge point in his career because from what I've last read, Tenet didn't kill it at the box office because oh, really? of obvious reasons. Oh, well, yeah. Um, so it did fine. But it didn't do great. Like, this is a guy who was going trending upwards mm. and he was already so high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, The Dark Knight's made like 1.2 billion, and then The Last Dark Knight made like 1.4 billion or something like that. Mm. And then this made 700 on an original idea. Um, it's just not the time for creativity. And hopefully it comes around again. And, but then, sort of like, as. Like I've been very much shaped in this opinion by reading, by what I'm reading and what I'm listening to, but I think that the place for political commentary is not in cinema; it's in TV. Why? Why? How? How is that true? How is that true? And whose because metric is that? But you, like your opinion is that it's not the place for it, or you think it's literally just not the place? It's not possible for you're it to be the place. You're talking about funding. Is that yeah, what, I'm yeah, talking about yeah. funding and bodies backing you. Um, think about. Do you think the Avengers movies are political? I think, but they're political in the sense of like, you know, nationalistic ideas maybe or something like that, but not like other than that, not otherwise, I don't think. They definitely, any action movie or something like that is selling some idea about a country or good and evil and stuff like that, you know? I think they skate around the lowest hanging fruit. Thanos, um, I guess it's interesting, sorry, I don't want to undermine it. Thanos talks about how he wants to delete half of the world because everyone's fighting over too much, and that's a comment on overpopulation. Um, And then his argument is that after he snaps his... Have you seen The Avengers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Probably haven't read into it as much as you guys. (laughs) After he snaps his fingers and half the world is deleted, things aren't so bad anyway. You know, they're just like a thing that we deal with and stuff. But then the film wants you to go like, no, half the world doesn't deserve to die. But then it wants you at least to think about it a little bit. Um, and then the films have the slightest angle. Like that one's probably the heavy, like the most developed of, most developed political idea, I'd say. Um, and then you've got stuff like Spider-Man Homecoming. No, Spider-Man Far From Home, which is one of or the most recent, I think. I think it's the most recent Marvel film. I haven't seen it. Because of the Black Widow. Um, anyway, that one's got a message of like, don't trust everything you see on screens, which is not political, but political. You know what I mean? It, I think it's hard to say whether or not a film is political or not. Like, hmm. especially when, to my view, the most effective kind of political communication through um, cinema is in the subtleties and it's, it's not about imposing a view on someone. Like the whole idea of film 
is to show other ideas, to show other perspectives, to show other lives. So, I don't know. I think, like, even this film, it has, it does have its political undertones. And, I mean, it sparked this conversation even. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. Because I also definitely read plenty of letterbox reviews and I'm, and I'm like, you know. What a you, movie can just be a movie. Exactly. <laughs> I definitely do feel that way at all. I think the only reason I have this opinion about Nolan is that Nolan is 10 blockbusters into his career and it's like, hey, you can put something. Make a statement. You can film. put something on the line wanting. maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You can, maybe that's what he's got next though. Like, isn't it's just so weird. Like, I guess it's funny because he has this like good problem where it's like, where do you go from this? And then he went to Tenant, and then that makes it sort of easy to go. Oh, it's strange that Tenant's back on Earth after we were in space. Like, what's the next step yeah. after space? I definitely think that mm. Interstellar feels like a risk film. You know what yeah. I mean? Because you say it's the first one after the Batman trilogy. It's like, what's he gonna do? And he's like, fuck, I have to go big. I have to do the biggest thing I've ever done. And it pays off, like, a lot. It's definitely a risky film. Is this... The, what do you have next, Dunkirk? Dunkirk feels like a bit of a smaller... I didn't really like Dunkirk. What did you, what's your beef with Dunkirk? I'm interested. I got really bored. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've seen other World War One films that had big impact. It's funny. There's also a um, scene in Atonement that's set on the beaches of Dunkirk. I'm oh, like, really? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Oh, of course. It, that's like one of the longest scenes as well. It's like yeah, all shot. It's actually a cool oh, yeah, scene. I know that shot. That's it's like brilliant. one take. Yeah. I haven't seen the film. I've seen the shot. Oh my gosh, you have to see the film. Really? <laughs> yes. Who's the guy in it? The famous James guy. James. Boy. Yeah, make that thing. Kira Knightley and Young Baby Sersha Ronan. What? What? Wow. It's really good. It's also a good book as well you by seen, Ian, Ian McEwan. Have Sorry. you seen 1917? Um, I have not. I should say that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You should say that. <laughs> Just casually. Yeah. Um, yes. I feel uh, like I watched a lot of um, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg war films. Have you guys watched those? Like Band of Brothers, Pacific, Saving I Private Ryan. Seen, and they were all Saving epic Private and I just Ryan. haven't yeah. gone back to that. I sort of saw Dunkirk and I was like, oh, nah. War films are an interesting thing. Yeah. And war films are a, fi- a, a type of film that aren't, you know, political in their nature and sometimes can rub you the right or wrong way depending on what they're, they're so saying. They're so old school political. But war is just such a bizarre concept to, yeah. so, you know, people living now. I mean, obviously in other countries, very much a real concept to someone in Australia in 2021. Well, the war that we watch through film though is like of one of the two major world wars. It's a particular type of war. Mm. It's not a civil war. It's yeah. not, you know, a yeah. r- war of resources. It's not ambiguous. Yeah. yeah. It's always been super interesting. Well, because... I suppose you're about to get to this, but like war films get to go bad guy, good guy, you know, good team, bad team. But yes and no, because there's also always this thing like, hey, we're all just kids, you know, man. Mm. You know what? Is the- That's always the punchline, isn't it? You know like they kind prob- of realize halfway through the film, oh, we're why all- are we even doing this? Mm, yeah. yeah. There's only so many times I can hear that narrative. <laughs> yeah. My probably favorite war film is Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket, the Stanley Kubrick film. So good on Netflix. Um, Out of all... Talking political, I love what it does. It sort of does a bit of like, we'll entertain this element of the war debate. We'll entertain this idea of the war debate. Like it jumps around and Mm. it's... Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems quite objective to me because it gives everything the, the air. You know what I mean? It sort of like makes you want to be in a... Uh, a battalion and it also is like why the frick are people in battalions it does a really good job at contrasting the individual to the group Mm, that's good 
But yeah, Dunkirk. Interesting, because I like Dunkirk. I think Dunkirk's really cool. I think he does some really interesting stuff with it. Um, the thing that obviously stands out is the time. Man, maybe I didn't real. I can't believe I didn't notice this, but Nolan is obsessed with time. What about Memento? I haven't... I know. Sorry, I'm sorry, everybody, but I haven't seen Memento. But I haven't I, seen it either. I know it's about time and memory. And Dark Knight, about time. Goes to Hong Kong. Wastes a lot of time. <laughs> Who knows why? Um, yeah. Nolan's obviously obsessed with time. What else do you have on your notes? Well, there's one... I feel like we're straying further from God every, every minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, one key thing that I do definitely want to address is... Um, DeGrasse said this, and it's super obvious, but this film is heavily influenced by 2001. Yeah. Um, and this is the thing. Yeah, okay. This, and I was almost, I kind of wanted to watch 2001 before I did this pod because I wanted to compare it directly because mm. I've actually only seen it one time, but it left a big impression on me. And I, it's, it's so funny. Like I was convinced in my, I think in my, the back of my head or my, my, even my heart was that. <laughs> I, oh, that's the love for you. Yeah. Fifth dimension. I just really felt like I was going to get, you know, like that end 2001, amazing 30 or 40 minutes of 2001. That's just like fucking crazy. And like, you know, mind blowing. I just felt like that was coming, even though I kind of knew it wasn't going to be the same, you know? Yeah. And so I kind of felt like a little let down that the, the visuals and everything weren't as good as 2001. Like. There's something just unreal about a movie just going, hey, sit there. We're going to go on this crazy thing and you're just going to have <laughs> to I'm just going to change the it. colors while we fly through some mountains. And it's for nuts. 15 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's amazing. Um, what's your relationship to 2001? I, I have not seen it. What? Oh, I thought you were nodding along like <laughs> yeah. you had seen it. You no, I mean, I've heard about it. I've yeah. read about it. I understand the comparisons and like the inspiration. But Yeah. I'll briefly... Um, two Tom, Tom owns a 2001 jumper. Yeah, it's and it's, it's his quote unquote favorite movie. Yeah, it's my favorite movie. It, it's at least my formal favorite movie. As in, like people say, you go to film school, watch your favorite movie, and then I say, Stanley Kubrick. I'm feeling a bit insecure right now, so my favorite movie's no. I love 2001. It's yeah, but if you were movie. feeling secure, what would you say? Like Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I love the movie. It's just. But then it, it brings to the forefront some interesting questions about this film to me, which is that 2001 is just amazing, like visually, narratively, thematically. It, it's interesting that you say that even now, because from, just from what I've read, I haven't seen it. It's like a lot of the epicness of 2001 is based in the context, like the time that it was released, mm. around the time of space exploration and like even just having a scene in cinema of space was like awe-inspiring. Whereas we've almost become accustomed to that now. Like we've seen plenty of face, space films, and but you you would still say that it has those effects. Two thousand and one has the like completely unique tone to it. I would say yeah. that is completely not comparable to this film. Like, would you would you not agree with that? I think the tone they're, they're different looks on life completely. Like What's they're the both two thousand and one. Well, they're both like you know have existential elements, but two thousand and one is a lot colder. You know. Mm. And I think that's part of the reason why it leaves like a really big impression is that it's like, you know, we talk about space being scary in this film or whatever, but it's like scarier in 2001. And even just like existence becomes scarier in 2001, I think. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So what you referenced, Alan, was what I wanted to say. I definitely had an awareness that like this movie is like Interstellar, mm. visually impressive. Fantastic set design, fantastic costumes, fantastic performances, all this stuff. 
I it thinking about this in context of 2001 made me think you know is 2001 so special because it's old mm. and I think it is to some extent right like um like it was a breakthrough kind of film yeah you like you talked about the context around the release of 2001 I'd say what's so cool about 2001 is you can still feel the context. You can still feel that it's better than it should be. And that, the, that is special. Yeah. Like if you can but that's feel gr- that. That's great filmmaking. Be- yeah. That's not the context giving it that weight. It's the filmmaking giving it that mm. weight. It literally captures that feeling. Yeah. You know? And it transports yeah. it across decades, which yeah. is incredible. Maybe that's the fifth dimension. <laughs> 2001. <laughs> great, filmmaking. great filmmaking. Oh, filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so 2001 is just amazing. And, like, I, I think the reason, like, because the reason you love it is because of the way it makes you feel, you know? It makes you feel like you're watching something important and you're watching something that's not replicated. And mm-hmm. I think you commenting on the coldness is unique. And I think that is, like, about the film, I think that works as that, a description. Isn't that Stanley Kubrick, though? He's, like, got. It, it just touch. feels epic. <laughs> it feels like it's bigger than you watching 2001. And it feels like you're part of something. And. I think the way, like, a, a key part of achieving that is not putting, like, the film isn't bogged down by a personal plot or a personal drama. It's it's bigger than that. Like, there's an individual who represents the audience, but he's not particularly... Um, Even the humans are, like, expressive. a bit robotic. Yeah. Robotic, sorry. Yeah. So, it, it's, like, a bigger commentary, and it also gives itself less chances to slip up in terms of like saying the wrong thing, which is what Interstellar does do. Interstellar makes it so personal that if you don't bite onto the personal stuff at different moments, it kind of lets you down. So in uh, 2001, by being about humanity as a whole rather than about... And like it is absolutely like such a arrogant film to make. I was going to say, yeah, without it, the person, like it's pretty... It opens with like 30 minutes of um, like monkeys jumping around in suits and it's amazing. Um Anyway, just like appreciation corner for 2001, but it does like I think like I want to um appreciate this film with a certain awareness that like 2001 is sort of protected by being old and sort of like it's given this rarefied ground so you're like you know like cuz you know when someone tells you something's good and then you watch it and you say this lived up to the hype that is what that film has and this film doesn't have the prestige because of its context of release a little bit it it wasn't nominated for best picture um that's strange to me but i remember everybody talking about it and how good it was when it came out like i remember it being a big thing and as someone who hasn't seen 2001 i'm like this has pretty big impact Mm. so yeah yeah i think nolan and similarly tarantino um and maybe some other directors and actors and stuff have this interesting uh, aura where I think the lack of pretension sort of undermines them a little bit because Nolan, you're not actually stumbling across something that's a secret. Like, everyone knows about Nolan. So I don't think people who are, like, particularly academic and artsy are going to go, oh, Interstellar, like... That's my favorite film. So I think. And guess what? It's about time, unlike any of his other films. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> their popularity hurts them a little bit in terms of prestige. And. Um, but I just. But yeah, I agree with that. But also, like, the man is going to be like one of the filmmakers we 
there's no way that people aren't going to look back on Nolan's films and be like, he's one of the all-time filmmakers. Mm. Like Steven Spielberg, for example, is not an underground filmmaker. Yeah, he made e. Everybody looks back on yeah. him with, you know, rose-like glasses or whatever. I think it's easier to close the book and I think Nolan will be more appreciated when he's gone. Uh, yeah, but it's, we're also, it's talking about circles as well. Uh, or like, you know, your echo chamber or whatever. If you're going to be like film analyzing and dealing with film school types, you're obviously going to be looking for more flaws in Nolan films than the average average Joe. And there's, you know, it's also like maybe tough for Nolan what you're saying, but also it's like, man, Nolan gets so much from the the person who's not really into films and it just gets their mind blown by this movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's probably 10 times yeah, more valuable as a filmmaker, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, some quick more points on comparison. Uh, talk about the robot. Because you love the robot. The robot, I think, is a clear response to Hell, right? Um, so, Hell's the robot in 2001. Do you know anything about Hell? Okay, I won't... Yeah, I won't talk about it. Anyway, it's a... Iconic robot. This is also an iconic... I think the robot... They look similar. I love it. Yeah. They yeah. look similar. They're reminiscent of each other. At least the monolith thing. Um, but I remember, like, watching the the wave planet for the first time and the way it rolls and oh, it turns nice. into an asterisk yeah and, it's like, and i was just like that's the most interesting thing i've ever seen in my life like because you could have you, made you the robot go, anything well but that's the thing and you go it's very what, what's great about you know the physics in this film or whatever is it, they make makes you go like yeah they probably would design a robot that's that well that's versatile. it you've seen that like and you think your your brain's sticking over like oh how would that work like, oh you know it pretty much would work and you kind of just... and that's a smart way to design a robot because yeah. it can do yeah. all this shit and it's not it doesn't have to look like a human being or something yeah. like that it can asterisk through the water i think thematically it functions really well because it's like oh machines are still machines at the end of the day you know it does a great job of going, they talk like humans, but they're not humans. And I think the film really pushes that, that it's like, technology is not really your friend. It's sort of like always working against your human instincts at the end of the day. Um, your robot is just here to do a job and they don't have a conscience. Well, and, and, and fundamentally they're programmed, yeah. which you kind of see, because it's like, what is it, 96% honesty? Or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I like how the robot is jarringly non-human. I think that's a good touch. Um but it has humour, which, you know, that's fun. Yeah, that's that's the cinema in it coming out. <laughs> Obviously, a robot wouldn't tell jokes in real life. Mm. Um, unless you disagree. But no, but it also makes sense that, like, you can imagine... Maybe not that it'll have, like, whip, uh, ripper one-liners like that. <laughs> but, you can, you know, there is that challenge to make robots more human to get them out of the Uncanny Valley thing. So, for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, and then my final 2001 reference point is that I prefer the 2001 conclusion, like philosophical conclusion, mm -hmm. than the interstellar philosophical conclusion. I think that the Tesseract scene, uh, sort of like the, the spiral into the black hole and Tesseract scene is reminiscent of another scene in 2001 um, near the end where... 2001 angles itself a bit differently. It's a bit more about technology and um, humans relating to technology and then also fourth dimension relating to that again. Like, basically, it's like a bit more about existence than a bit, uh, you know, human, human nature than this is, which it does focus on human nature, but not in the same way. This is more of a, Interstellar is more of a personal story where, as Nick commented, um, and basically it's just like the 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 penultimate sort of scene and like the final sort of big statement scene in 2001 is 
probably more impacting than this mm. because this agree. this ties it up a bit too much, which is interesting because Interstellar, like, you could... It's like they sort of went, like, out... They went very wide and then they came back in and then that made it feel like, why'd they go wide? Like, they're like... Human race, you got to survive a human race. In Hathaway, I'm going to launch you out into space. And then they're like, oh, but actually it's about this one guy who has one daughter on Earth and we really invested in this one person. And then we'll go like, oh, he saved humanity. Whereas 2001 never has the illusion of going very personal. It's always like, oh, these, this is about humanity rather than about an individual. I think I appreciate the, um, the personal story in it though. Like how... Like, the idea of humanity is such an abstract concept and you can kind of play with it without any real consequences. But when you bring the personal in, and it's probably part of the reason why people tap in or tap out with the film. It's like you either believe it or don't. But that's probably the most powerful part of it, in my view. That's a good point. And it did have to differentiate itself from 2001 at some stage as well, right? And no one's probably thinking that. I think like it's not just in those final scenes either that they really hark on about like the the personal drive of humanity. Like it's that, that speech about survival instinct. It's about the whole idea of trying to find a new home and even the poetry that's elicited throughout, like the, like that's, that's all about, I think it's um, by Dylan Thomas. Yes. Here's your yes, moment. Here's my moment. We, we referenced it, it, the story almost started before the pod. Oh, and yeah. I think this is time. Well, it's just that I was familiar with this poem because my mom's an English teacher and when I was, I don't know, year seven, she was trying to teach me about similes and metaphors and, oh, she pulls out a Dylan Thomas poetry book and reads out, do not go gentle into that good night, which is exactly what's played in this film. And apparently, like, Dylan Thomas is a, is a Welsh poet and this particular poem was an ode to his dying father. So it's like very emotionally mm. charged and based in these real life experiences. And that's a pretty profound thing to have is like, like, I think it's just impressive that Nolan inserted that throughout the film. It wasn't as though suddenly we tied it up with this personal, like sort of love note, father, daughter. It was really the driving force for the whole film. Yeah. Yeah. I think the poem's pretty cool. It has a sense of epicness. Does um, Matt Damon, oh, because Matt Damon references it. He's like, oh, did they tell you that nonsense about did he tell you that continually? Um, and he was referencing how the Michael Caine was always talking about the NASA, uh, that poem. But yeah, I think it's a good thread. Um, but even hearing that context from you makes it pay off more, mm-hmm. which I think no one's constantly trying to do, which is like, oh, did you get this little Easter egg? There's a bit more to find here. Um, but even hearing him talking, saying he said that to his dying father, I don't think it would be too far. Because also the, the whole film is basically him, like Dylan Thomas, the son, pleading to his father. Like one of the lines is rage, rage against the dying of the light. Like fight it. Like the, mm. the dying of the light being the end of your life. Yeah. You know, and rage against that. And that's kind of the, the instinct or the drive of humanity. Is That's how I take it to symbolize the film. Um, and the, like, the idea, like, do not go gentle into that good night, the good night being your eternal sleep yeah. and that you should fight against that. Like, we should, we should demand more and see as far as we can go. Yeah. Do you think it would have fallen flat if they sort of explained that in the film? Because that sounds Well, they, they kind of they repeat cool that me, line a few it? times, though. And then they have the whole survival speech and the whole thing is about, you know, this father who 
leaves his children in a in a really risky attempt to save them mm. and then ultimately try to get back to them. I mean, it's all about that. That's kind of a central theme to my mind. That was very profound. Thank you for explaining that my, to my us. My poetry insights. Yeah. There we go. Thanks, Any other Mom. poetry you want to talk about? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, final sort of honorable mention, Hans Zimmer soundtrack. Oh, yeah. We haven't even said the soundtrack is so good. Mm. IMAX, it's quite amazing. Like w- just before earlier tonight, we were put the soundtrack on and the dynamic range of it is nuts like you really need IMAX speakers to be able to like appreciate it and mm. not just be like what the hell where did they get so it is loud not, out it of it is not a public transport album you will put it on you'll be like is it even on and then you'll turn it up yeah, and then it <laughs> yeah um, I think it's sort of like Hans Zimmer I don't know if this is fair but I know that he has a bit of a bad reputation for being a bit too like like contrasty it's the same sort of thing we're talking about people who are so successful and so revered that of course you only hear the bad exactly yeah yeah. but Um, he's also made soundtracks that every people that every people that (laughs) people who aren't into movie soundtracks know they they're iconic scores so i don't think you can undermine it you know what i mean like but simply put the the sound in there the music in this is so good and the the i love motifs generally i know that i don't think that's a hot take gen Motifs are good. They Objectively speaking, work. motifs are great. Yeah, and you know, it's almost like for a thing to be a motif, it has to be good. <laughs> like it's like yeah. it's kind of. A Imagine part you of put true. a shit riff as a motif. <laughs> yeah. <you can>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the motifs in this are good. The uh, the time ticking, the clock ticking yeah. as a motif, is quite I don't know obvious, but it's good. Works very well. Um, and yeah, the the main motif, it hits in the most powerful scene in this movie, so it succeeds, right? I was going to say, because we're just putting in final thoughts, mm. and we've kind of been around this bush, but the fact that he comes back, you know, we're talking about the son connection, the fact that when he comes back to life, he doesn't give two shits about the fact that his son, he doesn't, like, they don't even mention his son. Yeah. Like, he, like Mur- old, old Lady Murph doesn't even go, oh, you know, I can't remember his name, Tom, I'm going to go with Tom. Tom. Tom, Tom. oh, there you go. Tom, Tom Cooper. Not very memorable Tom. So. Tom, really, Tom really wanted to see you before he died. You know, something like that it would have been good. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like they should have made, they could have made Tom a jerk to the dad. Like they justify should justify that in yeah, some way. They could have yeah. made Tom, Tom was a, a good son. He's like, hey, dad, I'm sending you messages. It's I don't know if you're Exactly. This. And it's literally because he wasn't smart that he's like, oh, yeah, look, you're not Murph. Like, Murph's the genius. Sorry, bro, he's you're like, a farmer. She's like me. One. Yeah. yeah. But he's like loyal and like holds down the family fort. And he's Casey Affleck. And he's Casey Affleck. Mm. And he's Timothy. And yeah. Is that one of the best like genetic chains in theory? Voice pitch aside. <laughs> Timothy into to Casey. It I don't, works. I don't find Casey nearly as good looking as Timothy, unfortunately. If you're just talking about celebrity chain. The like, Affleck brothers have a good amount of like I don't trust this person as an individual, <laughs> but I you trust... a little them. bit shady. Yeah, which is why they make such great actors now. Well, I actually think that some of... Like, I think Casey's works better than his brother Ben's. Like, um, what is it? Uh, Manchester. Justice James film, uh, Manchester by the Sea. They're brilliant. Yeah, Ghost Story. Did you watch that? Nope, haven't seen any of these films. A24. You haven't seen... Man, study up. Um, who's Ro- the woman? Rooney Ma. Yeah, no, I have seen it. That's really good. 
It's interesting. Yeah. It, it caused a few arguments where I'm from. All right. Well, we watched Back it for on the uni. Farm. And, uh, you know, it's just like the type of film that's not made for a farmer. It's made for a, an engineer, basically. Mm. But we're simple folk. We just grow corn. I like what you do, pa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that they um, have the Yankees in town. Good touch. Good, good. The Yankees, the plain. Yeah, baseball. they're the New York Yankees, which is, I think, is a really powerful like scope message in two seconds. You know, the so many people are dead, and they're playing like half. Arts, yeah, the yeah. Yankees are playing at any Joe Blow town or whatever it is. Um, mm. Well delivered. Yeah, um, that's an interesting movie, and there's a lot of pie in in Ghost Story. That's a time film as well. Yes. Good speech about existentialism. Is love cut about time? Look, isn't everything we do about time ultimately? It's all, all about love. <laughs> it's only quantified. I've tried everything in this world why... except for one. Isn't that kind of the point of the film? Like, isn't that Anne Hathaway's uh, like her character's argument that there are two things we can't seem to control or quantify? Mm. What so was it? Love and gravity. What was love, love and time. Love and time. <laughs> it is gravity as well, though. Yeah, so we'll love go. controls gravity. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> you can send messages through love. Via gravity. True. Just inertia we feel in each of our hearts. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's a good place to sort of start wrapping up. Um, do you think we're running out of time two hours in? I don't know. Yeah. It's hard when you do a film and you just feel like, you know, like I feel like I, I feel like I haven't talked about everything I want to talk about, but I also like... Do you have anything else? Just well, not really, but I just feel like it's such a big film that yeah, it's like... Yeah, loose ideas. Mm, loose ideas. And in classic Nolan fashion, we're not going to tie them all up, but we're going to finish... <laughs> Okay, great segue. That's okay. the timer right there. That's it. Let's go. Do we uh-huh. grade them? Okay, so yeah. if you ever listened to the pod, you would know that the I pros- didn't listen to the end. Shoot me. What did you like about this film? And we'll start with you, Ellen. What did you like? Wow. Um, well, I love anything existential and any attempt, however unpolished, to deal with the concept of time. That's it. You can That's keep, why I if, like the concept you, of time. You can be more specific as well if you okay. want. Um, you don't have to, but if that's all you like. Well, I think, okay, another thing I liked, you know, you've got this big grand concept of time and then you've got the human story and I really appreciated the sort of unique father-daughter narrative and particularly at the start played by the young Murph was really powerful and that was like the emotional hook that got me into the film was her portrayal. Um, and even though, you know, it's kind of weird that the sun gets neglected. I um, Yeah, I like that part of the film. What about you, Big T? Yeah, so first of all, I love the cast and performance in this film. I think anything that is well-written and McConaughey starring is a good project. Love seeing McConaughey on the big screen. Um, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, exactly. What, what more to say? Um, I think the, the visuals are stunning. We didn't really do a long speech on it because I don't think there's much to say besides... Stunning. It's awesome. <laughs> um, seeing the wave planet and seeing Dr. Man's planet, um, it that makes you feel like... I just love that Nolan really captured the, the scope of excitement of exploration in this film, as Nick alluded to earlier. Um, so it doesn't fall... Like, you know, you get wide shots. You don't get wide shots on a bad-made movie. You get, like tights and you get here's the reason we're in the hangar rather than the reason we're on the surface and so it delivers at least on showing you some really awesome shots and planets and stuff um 
I love the, the surprise cameos, as I talked about before. Like genuinely, I, that actually really helps this film, in my opinion. Um, it's great to see Matt Damon show up and Jessica Chastain, Casey Affleck. Um, I I love the specificity of the issues. Um, I love that the 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 problems that they confront aren't human and they're not they don't feel heavily overly dramatized because they are genuine survival issues that you'd have so i think that really helps it succeed as a exploration and survival film which is that you have to worry about time you have to worry about fuel you have to worry about um logistics and that's so fun and very rewarding as it appeals to your like as to the credibility of the film yeah or the plot Mm. yeah um, I love the set design. Didn't mention that earlier. I had it as a note. This film lost to Grand Budapest for best production design, which is fair because Grand Budapest is amazing. But like, I love seeing the inside of spaceships. Basically, like, I don't even have like a. I have way too much of a high thinking feeling about Alien. I love the way that the spaceship looks in Alien, and it's not like I've even watched that film a bunch of times. But I just love the vintage space feel and so I think maybe it's just the way that space has to look so I love that this is a little bit old schooly spaceship and a little bit new schooly like I love how they go to sleep in these cryogenic you know things which which it doesn't exist yet (laughs) I think it's very easy to watch them go to sleep in these chamber things and be like yeah that exists but pretty sure it doesn't exist that you can just go to sleep and be preserved but so that's been rehearsed in so many different films. You're like, yeah, you just sure believe enough. it at this yeah. stage. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, um, there's like a whole other conversation about the way space looks in film. Yeah. Probably coming back to 2001, defining the way space is supposed to look. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you said, you want it to look retro. You just do. Like, that's just mm. a, like a weird thing that we kind of accept. And as soon as there's someone like doing touch screens flying in the air, you're like, no, nah, I'm not into that sort of space. I think it works thematically as well, though, because it's about humans being underprepared and about mm. being a bit dated. Yeah, I so, agree. Um, yeah. And, but like, also because they push it narratively that it's like, Oh, if you want something to survive in space, it has to be rudimentary mm, and simple. Robust. Yeah. Um, anyway, so production design, love it in this film. Um, yeah, and I just love, love, love that scene where he watches the the things. You know, when you watch a scene, you feel spoken to, and yeah, that is that scene for me. What would you change? We'll go with you first. Yeah, me. Um, what I change? I shortened the Tesseract scene, as I expressed earlier. Cut it by maybe, I don't know how many specific minutes, but maybe half the runtime. Honestly, I was more interested in what Anna Hathaway was up to than McConaughey. But I understand why you need McConaughey. I just think you can do the parallel storylines a little bit. Um, yeah, I think that the ending is maybe a little too Hollywood. It could be a little more focused, again, on the personal drama rather than making everyone in the audience feel okay that we'll survive as a human race. Um, I would be okay if the world that they inhabited was a little bit shit or something like that, but it's a little bit perfect. Um, I think some of the comments about love could have been said with a synonym rather than love, literally. Yeah, my, just the main thing that sticks out is the Tesseract scene because it feels so jarring compared to what you've just watched. It feels like a director intervening in like... Not just a director in a pretentious way, but just like it's the most aware that I am that I'm watching a movie at the end of the film 
I'm swept up in this exploration thing and that's when I go, uh. Also, maybe morally, I would change Michael Caine. And <laughs> not actually, but geez, what a dick move. <laughs> Putting that weight on the... You uh, should acknowledge how much of a dick he was. Like yeah. he didn't suffer enough repercussions for that. Yeah. That's what I changed. But notably, um, I didn't say I'd make it shorter. Just Which is huge because every movie Tom thinks should be shorter. Yeah. Yeah. This is a long one, so... Keep so it yeah, huge. All right, Alan, what would you change? Yeah, I wouldn't have so much of a problem with the Tesseract scene. Like, I'm, I really embrace that as like a sort of one way to envisage another dimension in time. And it was just like such a wow factor. Like I remember watching that and just absorbing it. But I would change just as sort of a plot turn that Murph suddenly figures out that the her father had been communicating with her. Like it just kind of like, yeah, I just didn't believe it. And I was so enthralled with that scene up until it was like, Oh, it's you. And I was like, what? On the basis of what? Like that, I think that could have been changed. Um, and also probably agree with you, Tom, that the word love could have been substituted for another idea or a term that represented the human connection. I think, I think what, he what the film is getting at there is really profound and really interesting, but perhaps the, the word love just kind of glazes over that or make or cheapens it even. Mm. Yeah, and you'd completely buy if the characters were a bit more stunted. Mm. I think that they're a little too mature to call it love. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um. So a simple change. Even but... even just the idea of some other force, like a human, like what is it that binds us? Like that whole idea of. I mean, again, the word, the word love, but like we love people who've already passed and the idea of like what's the social good behind that? Like why do we have that within us that we would devote emotional energies to people who are not here to service us in any way? That is something that's tangible. It exists. And so that's kind of what the film's getting at. And how does that translate in, in, a, in a space film where you're dealing with um, obviously time and additional dimensions and a wormhole? All right. The important part. What would you rate it, Ellen? I am giving it four and a half stars. Ooh, that is huge. It's huge. I'm sure if I looked up your letterbox, it would be in very elite. I actually am not sure I've given many other films four and a half. Mm. Maybe not even one other film. I've kind of, I've maybe got four films that have been given five stars. And then it's pretty much three and a half or four. In terms of like other good films, but four and a half, I gave it four and a half because I had to respect my immediate response, like my physical and like just mental explosion in the mm. film. Like that's mm. so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I consume films so often, and like even just in the past few weeks, I've watched, I've been to the cinemas like ridiculously once every three days. So for a film to have that impact, I have to give credit where it's due. And the, really, the only reason I didn't give it five is because. The few films I have given five to are very special. It's like I really reserve that to an exclusive group. You need to watch it again and build this other connection to it. I think that's true. Like all the films that I've given five stars, I probably watched five times. And it's kind of, if anything, it's grown on me. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with this film if I watch it again. Right, Tom. I this hearing you speak about that, it makes me wonder if this film is rated something differently if it's not seen in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a definitive conclusion, but it was just such a good feeling to watch this movie and be fully affected and mm. not just transport out of your life in like a, 
a lowly sad way <laughs> but in like a great way that it's like everyone in this room is on the same page as me this is what movies should be all about this is yeah, it's really celebratory yeah, it's like, wow it's so cool um i also i'm giving this film four and a half stars yeah. all right well up to me okay so i am very much on the same page with a lot of the likes with you guys um particularly i'll put emphasis on the fact like like I said before, the exploration stuff, like the shots of the spaceship, like were just beautiful. And it's okay. I didn't even talk about this before, but the first time I saw this film, I didn't really like it that much. I thought it was like Whoa. just okay. Seems pretty important. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I'm obviously swept up in the conversation and I should have said that, but I've seen it once before and I watched it. And this is why the IMAX thing is kind of maybe important. It's that mm. I saw it once on like Netflix and I was like, this movie's too long and I'm not that invested in it. Mm. It's cool, but it's not that good. And a lot of it, I think, is comparison to 2001, which is a film that I feel I had a big impact with and I was like, oh, yeah, this is just not as good. Having said that, this time I liked it a lot more, like a whole lot. And then there was also this thing going on where it's like we just saw Tenet in IMAX and I'm comparing it to Tenet and I'm like, wow, this is so much better than Tenet and I really mm. liked Tenet and like I liked Tenet quite a lot as well. Mm. Anyway, that's kind of beside the point. There's so much to like. It's lots of beautiful scenes, lots of immersive scenes. Relax, Jesus. <laughs> I've also got criticisms, and the criticism I would Come say up with a five, <laughs> seven. <laughs> the criticisms I have are the same thing about the Tesseract scene, and it's 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 a bit harsh because like when a film has you going with so much momentum and then it loses it, you feel even more upset about the loss of momentum than you would in a film that's not that good. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of hard. So I'm sitting there through that stuff, and it's like really not resonating with me, and I'm going oh, this is a bit of a letdown. But it's all, but to think that is also just because like I'm on such a high from the rest of the film so far. So I think the yeah, two... I think I was still riding that high. Mm. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I, I take this. Yeah. It's just something lost me. Like it didn't emotionally land with me yeah. where there were other parts that did really emotionally land with me. And I just have to praise Nolan that he did a good job with the emotional resonance. Yeah, like like you said, that scene where he's watching the the things back... And I thought like Anne Hathaway's speech was really good. Matt Damon's performance was really good. They're all really emotional moments that I don't think we can take for granted. Um, having said that, I just think that the first two thirds of it are so good and the last third I just don't love that much. Is it a third? Probably not, like a quarter probably. I, feel like, oh, I would, wouldn't be surprised if it's even smaller than that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> say the last fifth. Okay. Anyway. You might be it, it felt like it flew by because like that was where I had issue with Mm. And you think if I'm going to get caught up on anything, but that felt pretty short. It felt like it's that scene, and then maybe I've already like edited down the end part to just him being beside the bed because mm -hmm. I don't really think about like him walking through the house and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it didn't. I'm surprised for a, you know how downer scenes can seem really long. Mm -hmm. To me, it didn't seem. Yeah. Super long. Not that it's a huge downer. It's just... Yeah. Anyway, I'll just say it because I'm kind of going on. One third, one fourth, one fifth. <laughs> for me, this is a four star. Ooh. A four star, but it's obviously a great film and great experience to watch it. Um, Alan, do you have anything you want to promote? Oh, um, uh, love, guys, love and time. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the most wholesome guests we've had on. <laughs> What's your letterbox? Um, if you want people to follow it. Oh gosh, Alan Roberts with two S's, I believe. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Just pluralize the plural. Yeah, Alan Roberts's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. All right, you want to do the plugs? Our plugs are follow us, follow the official Ego Hour, Ego Problem, Good Brother. Instagram, which is I'm Good Brother. 
Um, follow me on Letterbox, Lil Silky, L I L S I L K Y. Um, what are you on uh, Letterbox? I'm I'm good brother on Letterbox, but it's not particularly. I don't like write reviews. It's not particularly interesting. You just know what he thinks. Do you I review before the pod or not? I don't rate before the pod. No, I don't. Ellen did it when we did Chinatown. That's why we have to cancel Chinatown because oh, I already wow. knew what she thought Dodgy. about it. No, I'm joking. But it wasn't the crystal no, I don't. rules yeah. and the etiquette of Ikarawa. Yeah. My apologies. I don't often come up with my ratings till we do the pod because I like to discuss it first. Like, I have an idea generally and then I'm like, I'll see what happens. Because you, you do, like, learn to love stuff more or, like, flaws get pointed out and stuff like that as you're doing the film, so... Unless you're stubborn. You can be stubborn. Well, I'm, I'm never... I'd like... I mean, I'm not an expert on films. So I'm happy to be malleable and have people's good... What I consider good takes rub off on me as well, you know, so... Did you hear any good takes tonight? Yeah, you bumped me up from a two <laughs> to a four. No, I'm joking. <laughs> well, this has been another classic. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in. Tell us who's done. Another antique shipwreck you spun. It's a Friday or a Tuesday. They mark my week. Tell